0: Hello, everybody, and welcome, 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 welcome back to The The Unleashed. Unleashed. Why did you say it so weird? Look, sometimes I just do these things for me,
2: for for my entertainment. I I see that. If other people are amused, that's nice, but it's not always about them. Uh, Is is being baffled the same as being amused? Because that's that's where I am right now. Smidge. Anyway, uh, this is is the Iron List podcast. This is the podcast where we do
0: lists here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. My name is William Bibbiani. I'm a critic for The
2: Wrap. I also write for Slash Film, and everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, My name is Whitney Seibold. I write for Slash Film. I'm a film critic. And this is our uh, typically very long podcast. Yeah, buckle up. Where we run down a list of, uh, at most, 20 film titles. Yes. Uh, Top 10 list, one from each of us, uh, the subject of which is selected by our patrons. Over at patreon.com slash critically
0: acclaimed network, where, in addition to getting a bunch of exclusive shows, in addition to getting uh, our new podcast, Thank Godzilla, It's Friday One Week Early, you -hmm. also get to vote for... Whatever we're going to do every month on the Iron List. Uh,
2: I I want to hype this because I don't talk about it a lot. If you're yeah. a, a subscriber at the $20 level. Oh, yes. I, I got like radio dramas on there. Yep. I, I did them a couple of years ago, but they're still, still good there. and they're it's still, still there, there and they're still available for anybody who's a $20 subscriber. Yeah, go, go hunting because we have
0: literally, I, I think like hundreds, if not over mm-hmm. a thousand podcasts. Yeah, so, on the Patreon page just waiting to be explored so every, the, the, uh, every the, Star Trek episode every Firefly episode yeah, got, got podcast dedicated to TV movies podcast dedicated to every episode of Adam West Batman there's a giant catalog of
2: shows mm. for you just including wait, Whitney's, the paywall, including yeah. Whitney's radio dramas, for yeah, heaven's sake. I, I haven't had a chance to make one just because my schedule changed and I can't it's write so like that anymore. Uh, I got <laughs> a 9-to-5 job, yeah. so it's you know difficult to get some writing in. Um, but I'll
0: vouch for them. They're good shows. Uh,
2: yeah, they, they are by title. The 10th Muse was mm-hmm. the first one. Uh, one was called Love at Nana, N-A-N-A, which was a real counterculture store here in Los Angeles back in the 90s. Uh, it takes place in that store. Uh, I did a Christmas show called She Began to Dance Around. That's a, a, a one-woman b- one show. Uh, my, my friend Chelsea is in all of these, by the way, and, and she's uh, just a crackerjack. Um, and I also did one uh, that I wrote, like, way back in 2005 for a radio drama contest, and it won. And nice. uh, after they sat on it for a while, I asked, could I make it? And they said, yeah. Yeah,
0: we're, so we're not going to do anything with
2: that. It sounds like something I might have written in my 20s. <laughs> But that's still cool uh, but that, though But that one's called um, Determined uh, But the title has a double meaning It's not not just a boring Ooh, title Fine um, Well, in any case, all
0: that's over there At the Critically Acclaimed Network Patreon And, again, mm-hmm. you can vote for episodes of the Iron List And this month, our patrons, and in their infinite wisdom Have selected the topic of the best fairy
2: tale movies and this mm-hmm. might be a little bit broader a topic than some people realize. It's it's a uh, f- the problem is fairy tale is not really subtly defined. It's not necessarily a, ter- a, a tale with fairies in it. Fairy tale mm-hmm. incorporates sort of a wide uh, variety of genre tropes.
0: Yeah. Uh, t- so it, it, yeah. What is the difference, for example, between a fairy tale and a myth, or a fairy or, or tale or and f- a, fable. a fable, or, or a, a, a legend folk
2: tale? Um, yeah. Uh, some of the uh, for the most part, fairy tales are uh, written by anonymous authors. They're mm-hmm. passed down through folk traditions, but some of them aren't. Some of well, them I've... we can trace the direct origin to actual authors. And like some like some... B- Brothers Grimm, for instance. Well, the Brothers Grimm didn't really they write them. They're just the ones tales. who wrote it down. Uh, or, uh, but a lot of the, they, Or Hans Christian Andersen, for instance, yeah. came up with a lot of those stories on his own. Those are uh, considered authors of fairy tales. Uh, they tend to, when we use the term fairy tale... It's actually a very Eurocentric term. Yeah. Uh, we don't refer to sort of like ancient Chinese fables as fairy tales. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tend to think of like very films based on like medieval European lore. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes they're like nursery rhymes. It's difficult to say what exactly they are. Uh, it's one of those I know it when I see it kind of things.
0: Yeah. And there may be people listening who have a degree in English. Or world lit, lit, who have a clearer uh, uh, definition, but generally speaking, there seems to be some gray areas. So, as is common here at the critically acclaimed Iron List episodes, uh, I'm going to remind you that Whitney and I did not discuss the criteria for this ahead of time. We might have different criteria. And, in an effort to uh, sort of clear the air and give you some sense of what was on the table for me and i uh, whitney has the opportunity as well uh, i'm gonna go with what my criteria was and my criteria was i wanted to focus on films that i was very confident i could call them fairy tales yeah not movies that had fairies in them oh. of which there are definitely quite a few that aren't fairy tales yeah uh The other two criteria I had, and these are more for for me Mm -hmm. uh, uh, than anything else, was I didn't want to pick any films that were sort of inspired by fairy tales,
2: unless they called
0: their shots. Okay. So, for example, and I don't know if you picked this, but for Mm -hmm. example... One could make the argument, and I think it's a very solid argument, that something like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory Mm. is a modern-day retelling of Hansel and Gretel. It's definitely people, a bunch of kids, wayward kids, being invited into Mm. a candy house where bad things befall them in a very moralistic way. Uh, And also, the parents are also clearly to blame. Yes. (laughs) Now, that's definitely an inspiration there, but they're not actually
2: saying... It's a bit like Hansel and Gretel, isn't it? Yeah, well, and, and then, but then you get into things like, um, and you probably, don't say if you've selected these yet. Yeah. Uh, something like Ridley Scott's Legend. Sure. Or, uh Or Jim Henson's The Dark Crystal. These are mm-hmm. films that are very evocative of fairy tale lore, without actually telling a pre-existing one. aren't yeah based on uh, a pre-existing fairy tale. Yeah. So whether or not those counts are going to be up to, I guess, our discretion.
0: Indeed. Uh, I, well, again, this is just my criteria. Yeah. You might not agree. The other thing, and this is just for me, when it comes to a lot of the more conventionally known fairy tales, there mm. is one company that is kind of a lock on the market. Uh And that is Disney. Yeah. Disney has made a very lucrative industry out of making animated movies and some live action movies out of various fairy tales that you certainly know.
2: That is, and again, based specifically on European folklore. Almost exclusively. And uh, and literature. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, I am not saying I cannot put them on the list. However, I decided that, and I may or may not use them. I'm limiting myself to only one Disney animated movie, Uh and if any make the cut, maybe one Disney live-action movie. Okay. That would be explicitly based on a fairy tale. All right. uh... But I I didn't want the, because here's the, they make a lot of good movies. Uh Uh-huh. Like, there's a lot of the Disney animated fairy tale movies that could absolutely dominate this list, but you don't need me to tell you about them. So I'm only going to highlight the one or two that I think are special,
2: if that, and then I'm going to move on and yield the floor to some other movies. Well, why don't we start there? Uh, because I, okay. I had a very similar criterion. Okay. Uh, I, I didn't want uh, the Disney animated features, whose stock and trade was a lot of fairy tales yeah. and, and folk tales, uh, to o- overrun the list. But I do think that it's not just something they've become very good at mm-hmm. and done a lot of, but I think that there are actually some like legitimately great cinemas. There's some he's, good ones. These a cinema. There's, from there's that more canon. than there's more than uh, a couple. There's some a few genuinely amazing motion pictures. As has been previously stated, there are still a lot of these so-called like Disney animated classics that I simply haven't seen. Yeah. Uh, like I haven't seen Dumbo. I haven't seen uh, Pinocchio. I haven't seen uh, Fantasia. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, this one is uh, one I have seen uh, numerous times. It's from 1959, mm-hmm. uh, and it. It's uh, Sleeping Beauty.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, Sleeping Beauty uh, is possessed of a very specific type of... It's almost like a graphic design exercise uh, where everything just has that bold, crisp 1950s look. Uh,
0: <laughs> d- what happens is Sleeping Beauty, uh, unlike a lot of the other Disney animated movies up until that time, which included fairy tale movies like Cinderella, um, it was very widescreen and... Very vertical, which is very interesting. You'll notice, mm-hmm. like, the trees in Sleeping Everything, Beauty like, are very up and down, very as, up and down, lots of perpendicular uh, yeah, cinematography. Uh, it's really a striking,
2: gorgeous, beautifully colored motion picture, yeah. Uh, and it is, and, it is also on my list, so oh, okay. Uh, credit where credit is due. Uh, we refer, tend to refer to uh, Disney animated features uh, with the company as the maker, yeah. whereas, uh, the, the names of the directors are usually kind of lost to time. People can't tell you the, the name of the directors. Uh, this film had four directors, yeah. so it's kind of hard uh, you know, to sort of cite them all. But it was uh, Clyde Geronimi, Wolfgang Reitherman, Eric Larson, and Les Clark were right. the credited directors on Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and Sleeping Beauty is, of course, based on uh, a, a French author named Charles Perrault. Um, yeah. Uh, Sleeping Beauty but, uh, is, of course, uh, you know, when she's born, the king... Uh
0: and Queen yeah. have a big procession. Uh welcome this new child into existence. Isn't
2: it neat? We made and one. And it's and it's a fantasy kingdom, and I, I'm willing to forgive a lot of the kind of weird design because this is a fantastical world. It's anime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they happen to know fairies. Yes. And uh, they like invite lo- local local minor deities yeah. live yeah. in the woods outside and they, they wear uh Sort of these uh, colorful gowns, and they have magical wands. Mm, they're and Flora, Fauna, and Merryweather. Flora, Fauna, and Merryweather, and they're the protagonists. They are. It's not Sleeping <laughs> they're Beauty the story. Main characters of no, the story. I love them so much.
0: So what happens is uh, they didn't invite the other fairy, the evil one, who is the one you
2: absolutely have to invite. Are you? Are you kidding me? Yeah, they don't a, invite Maleficent, an evil, an evil fairy who also lived, like yeah. a fairy of death. Who um, they did not invite, voiced by the incomparable Eleanor Audley. Uh, Eleanor Audley also played the uh, stepmother in stepmother and sep- Cinderella. And yeah, from uh, what, I, what I understand, voice. she turned down this role in Sleeping mm. Beauty. She didn't want to play Maleficent. Yeah, and uh, it was because she had tuberculosis. Oh no! And uh, luckily, she recovered just in time to do all of the, the voice work. She didn't yeah, want to strain her voice, so she also played. Uh, yeah, this this evil death fairy.
0: Yeah,
2: um, but uh, she curses the the child. Yeah, and uh, out of spite. Out of
0: pure, <laughs> cruel, <laughs> despicable spite. God bless her. She's so wonderfully evil. Uh, and uh, she but says it's, it's, when she turns
2: 16, she's going to prick her finger on a spinning wheel and on the, die. Well, uh, and it, a spinning wheel is kind of an oblique piece of technology. Mm-hmm. Like it, uh, This was my introduction to spinning wheels. I didn't know what they were. Yeah, a lot of, a lot uh, of people, you know... They're yeah. a, a pedal-operated spinning wheel that you uh, sort of uh, pinch and spin yarn around, Yeah, kind of spins it around. And in order to make sure it doesn't get tangled, you wrap it around this needle that sticks up. You kind of, like, put a, a spool yeah. on it. Uh, and, yeah, it's just a sharp spike right in front of the, the user. So yeah. you're always constantly touching it. getting your Pricking your finger on it is actually a common thing. Yeah, it's not uncommon at all.
0: Yeah. Uh, however, so Maleficent, you know, leaves feeling pretty darn good about herself, but mm-hmm. one of the fairies still hasn't given her, like, her magical gift. The other one's like, she'll be really pretty and stuff. And well, this yeah, last one's one one like... One of
2: them is a, a gift of beauty. Yeah. Uh, these very superficial things. The gift of a nice voice. You can sing well. Yeah,
0: it's it's very... And uh, very uh, uh, fem-normative. Mm. And uh, then the other one's like, okay, I'll, I'll use my magic to say she won't die when she's 16. I win. Uh, however, I can't completely undo the spell, so I'm gonna I'm gonna modulate it a little bit. Okay, so she'll
2: she's still gonna prick her finger on a sp- the spindle of a spinning wheel, but she'll fall asleep until. Um, True true love's kiss Finds her And I'm like That only gives her Until she's 16 To find true love That's a lot Mm. of pressure Isn't it When did you first start Having crushes On other people
0: I didn't find true love Until it was in my 30s At best You know know, Like come on (laughs) The the, So uh, The other thing that they do Is because they know Maleficent is extremely evil Mm. I'm probably not going to be happy About this sort of Revised curse thing Is that they hide her And they have no. This
2: is a a precaution from the king.
0: Yeah, the king king. does this. They hide her and they say, listen, flora, Flora, fauna, merryweather. You are badass feminine icons mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure you're gay and I love every single one of you and you're the coolest Disney protagonists who ever lived. So I would yeah, like you to raise my daughter in secret and they're they like cool.
2: Be, <laughs> you could easily read them as like polyam lesbian lesbians uh, oh, yeah. like living out in the woods raising this teenage daughter together. Yeah, just just all of her just all of her queer
0: aunts mm. just raising her and it's fucking awesome and she gets raised in the middle of nowhere and she learns to talk oh. to animals and she's gorgeous and everything and, is anthropomorphic, wonderful. anthropomorphic but not talking animals like no. Cinderella which I appreciate they have a personality But they don't talk Uh, And uh, just before she turns 16 she happens to stumble across a Prince they have a nice kind of romantic Moment and then she's Told oh by the way you're a princess and you Got to do this whole thing and uh, She ends up pricking her finger Whoopsie maybe Instead of taking her back to the Castle the day of Or before her birthday you wait Until the day after Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe that would have been the wiser move. But <laughs> instead, boom, she's in a coma, and now it is up to Florifon or Meriwether, and uh, I think it's Prince Philip. Prince Philip is the, the prince, yeah. They have to save her. Prince Philip, largely ineffectual, until Florifon and Meriwether, like, supercharge his, like, he has his weapons. armor. yeah, he's got a, shi- yeah.
2: a shield and a sword, and they free him from a dungeon. Maleficent
0: turns into a fucking amazing dragon, mm-hmm. um... She has this wonderfully villainous thing she does Where she says Oh, uh, Philip, you tried to save her Well, I'm going to capture you And I could kill you Wouldn't that be easy? But instead I'm going to imprison you until you're 90 years old And then 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 I'll let you go go. And you
2: can totally save her if you want to (laughs) Enjoy! (laughs) It's and, so and they, delightfully vile, and, and, and they animate that. There's a scene yeah. of him like getting older and kind of stumbling oh, out God. in his nineties. The other, uh,
0: the other uh, artist we we need to mention who doesn't isn't accredited director, and I want to make sure I got his name right is Ivan Earl, hmm. uh, who uh, is responsible for the very distinct background style. Okay, uh, in yeah. this in this movie, and if right. you ever get a chance to see some of his works, hmm. I, th- I think they might have had some on display at the. Um, Oh, the the what's the what's the
2: the garden? The garden in pa- the one in Pasadena, the the something garden. Botanical gardens? No, know. not
0: the botanical garden. The one with all the, the museums and
2: stuff. In Pasadena? I don't yes, know. I don't know which. I don't know Pasadena Museum Garden. <laughs> I'm only
0: doing this because I kind of spaced out. The Huntington Library. Oh my The God. Huntington. Oh, you would, ever been
2: would, to Huntington Library? Wouldn't wouldn't have that in my brain. You ever been to Huntington Library? I don't think I have. Oh
0: my God, you should totally go. You should take your kid. It's wonderful. <laughs> it's, got, it's got wonderful like gardens everywhere, really cool like museum installations and things. They have like the blue boy there and stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, they recently had, and they might still have a presentation that's just um, art that inspired Disney. And mm-hmm. uh, had some Ivan Earl stuff in there too. Yeah. It was really cool. Um, um, so yeah, it's really, really stunning. It, it's, it's, got, it's got like a cool, and I think it's, it's really, it's got a really cool feminist bent to it. And when they decided to update it with Maleficent, I was Mm. very confused because the whole idea is we're going to take Maleficent, who everyone loved as a villain, and we're going to make her... she's scary. She's scary, scary, but she's also also stylish and she's uh, confident and charismatic. I had a crush on her. Uh, (laughs) I know I'm not alone on that. Uh, But they said, okay, we're going to do a story. We're going to make Maleficent the protagonist and we're going to say that Maleficent was wronged by the king and from her perspective this all makes sense and she's like an anti-hero and i'm like okay great so you want to turn maleficent into a feminist icon why then in your film did you take flora fauna and merriweather three pre-existing feminist icons Mm -hmm. and turn them into buffoons and turn them into buffoons why did we need to sacrifice three feminist icons to retroactively make one feminist
2: icon Oh. What wouldn't it have been great if we'd just had all four? I, I, I wasn't fond of that Maleficent oh, movie. Uh, Weird the, 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 the sequel even less. Um, wait, did I didn't even see that damn. I sequel? saw the sequel. There's a scene
0: where they try to commit genocide against all fairies using an evil pipe I, organ.
2: I was I was thinking of that awful uh, mm. Alice in Wonderland sequel. Oh, the the Huntsman Winter's War. No, that's the Snow White, but that's oh, no, you too. Thinking, oh, uh, Alice thing through the Looking the... Glass. Was this oh, a Looking
0: Glass. Or this is? Wasn't it called like Alice? in, Alice in Wonderland. Timey, timey, time? time,
2: time, like War of Time or something. Time stuff and things. Who the fuck cares? Look, that's uh, a very bad movie. <laughs> they're, they're, they're all terrible. Um, yeah, it, it's it's such a gorgeous movie. It is. It was shot yeah. in seventy millimeter. They shot the drawings yeah. in seventy millimeter, and it yeah. was. Cool. Um, I think it was the last sort of big Disney animated picture for a long time. Because after this, they stopped doing uh, sort of hand-painted backgrounds, and they stopped yeah. doing the hand-drawn cell animation right. in a favor of a much cheaper, faster Xeroxing process. Yeah, and you'll notice uh, like
0: there's when you get to the Disney movies of the 60s and 70s in yeah. particular, uh, you'll notice that the line work seems it's, it's a like little shaggier, bit A little yeah. bit shaggy, and that's a style, actually, that right. I'm not entirely unfond of. Uh, the one the thing I'll dispute here, and I, th- I realize you're being more subjective than this, uh, there were... Big hit popular movies in Disney in that period. 101 mm.
2: Dalmatians. Yeah, but, but the animated movie, I still think, is they're like one of the most lucrative I, 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 I didn't of mean all big time. in terms of box office, yeah. I meant big in terms of like production scope. Ah. Uh, 101 Dalmatians, like a third of the movie is just dogs watching TV. You compare <sighs> that to. Uh, hey we didn't Something have youtube like,
0: yet i, I <laughs> we suppose didn't have not pet
2: videos this is what we had. Th- like there there's literally a scene where the dogs are watching a tv commercial that it seems like a it's lot not a third not. Of the, it's I, a big I, portion I, of the movie I, i'm not
0: arguing that i just think it's not a third of the movie. i, I saw it
2: for the first time kind of recently there's a yeah. lot a lot of dog tv in that movie uh but compare that you know dogs watching a tv commercial to the fucking dragon yeah in sleeping beauty um it it's it's a really wonderful film yeah. it's just really great to look at i think it's really well told uh, the Tchaikovsky music that they oh, yeah. use really, is like really evocative and scary. Yeah, it's really uh, they they use it as sort of like the soundtrack for Maleficent's like lair. It's this like shadowy cast, uses well, the all whole these thing, ogres and goblins around the, her. The, the romance real... theme is I oh, yeah, know you, That's, that's I Tchaikovsky as you well. That that part is also from Tchaikovsky. There
0: there there. Uh, there's a lot of Disney animated movies, classic Disney animated movies that I mm. love dearly. Mm. Uh, everything from the original Pinocchio to Alice in Wonderland, uh, but none that are so dear to my heart. Not even so dear to my heart. Get it? That was a movie Disney did. Uh, Mm. But none that are so dear to my heart as Sleeping Beauty. In fact, this came very, very close to being my number one. Oh, really? Okay. I just think it's a masterpiece. Mm. I really do. I think gorgeously animated incredible character work really just the way that they follow the original plot and expand on it just enough to make it an exciting feature-length film because you know these stories are often a little simplistic in some of these um yeah i love this movie to pieces i think it is damn near perfect and i i i wouldn't say that about almost any disney movies there are very very few even like the really really great ones yeah. Uh, so yeah, this was the one Disney animated movie I allowed myself to put on my list. Whitney isn't necessarily beholden to that. Hmm. Uh, however, for my next pick, if you don't mind, uh, I think it's I think it's thematically appropriate. Uh, there's one other Disney movie I decided to put on my list. It is a live action movie, and we've praised it many times. Okay, uh, and that is Kenneth Branagh's Cinderella.
2: Okay, that's that's yeah. fair. Um, I like Kenneth Branagh's. Now, clearly, it was uh, mm. modeled off of the 1950. Uh, Disney animated. film. Yeah, it is a remake of there the Disney animated version of Cinderella. Countless film versions of Cinderella. Yes, and uh, some of them are even okay. Some of them are okay. You can see also that. A lot of quite bad ones. Well, if if you go you know, to the actual like core of the story, it's mm-hmm. a sort, it's a wish fulfillment fantasy. It's always, yes, it's a, a fantasy of the impoverished. Yeah, I am secretly royalty, uh, or well, the, I will no, no, attract royalty. in yeah, uh, th- th- this thing, case, they're yeah. not
0: secretly royalty. They were. Yeah, uh, they, they were. Uh, the daughter of a, of a rich man He married uh, A woman who already had two Or depending on the movie Maybe more than that yeah, yeah. A terrible daughters. Two just daughters Mean yeah, just evil people really spoiled Yeah uh, The father is somehow Pushed out of the picture In some version of the story He's just there And oblivious Which you know mm. What a dick But Um he, and, all, and now Cinderella is left alone in a household where the matriarch and the other sisters are abusing her. They are forcing her to do all the work. They are emotionally abusing her. They're basically trying, she's trying to marry off her daughters and trying to keep Cinderella from ever having a future. Cinderella is screwed. And then through sheer serendipity, she manages to uh, uh, attract the attention of a fairy godmother. Some versions of the story, that's not serendipity.
2: There's a reason for that.
0: But basically, she's such a good person. She has a guardian angel because she's she's really purified. She's such a good person. She's she's so sweet, so downtrodden, uh, that we're going to make this fantasy of yours come true where you get to go to a ball. We're going to give you a nice dress. We're going to give you, a, uh, mm. a, you know, a coach and all the fineries and you're going to go and the prince is going to instantly fall in love with you yeah, and uh, everything will be great
2: except you get drama to, shoes. You get to be the aristocracy. Yeah. Essentially. For a night. Um, for a night. Um, yeah. And uh, this is rarely tackled, but Cinderella is a story of class mm. about how this, this upper class family is actually in Brana's version of... Uh, Kind of like the Bennets, not quite well-to-do, the yeah. Bennets from Pride and Prejudice. Like they, Maybe uh,
0: previous generations or earlier in their lives they were, but now yeah. barely keeping it together. They've got so, yeah.
2: land, but that's it. They don't have a lot going. They don't have a lot of hope. Uh, so Cinderella is sort of being abused. She's the servant that they can feel better than, yeah. that their existence is predicated on their ability to abuse her. And also and, uh, on, their, on the hope
0: of marrying mm-hmm. off one of the daughters of someone rich, exactly. preferably the prince.
2: Uh, uh, And she will uh, sort of circumvent that in order to marry Rich herself. Now, the original
0: Disney animated version is considered a a classic for a wide variety of reasons, not the least of which it is uh, an early masterwork of feature film animation. Uh, it's, and good for them yeah, it's, it's got, really it's got a good gross.
2: animation Try to find the earliest Video edition you can Because oh, yeah. they've been Cleaning it and remastering it To the point where it Doesn't look like The original did if anymore you, If
0: you look at like Before and after videos Of like early DVD or VHS versions And then like The more recent Like Blu-ray releases You realize that In quote unquote Cleaning it up Mm -hmm. And quote unquote Restoring it They have actually Been removing Fine detail Yeah they've been Removing the original
2: Animation Or replacing it With newer animation And and frankly It's just offensive Uh, yeah. So so offensive. if 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 that's one you want to see track down a a, yeah. a DVD of it not a Blu-ray a DVD of it But un- unlike Sleeping Beauty I was never particularly a huge
0: fan of Cinderella well, I liked it fine Well
2: it's it I always it's thought it was a dull th- picture I, I found it thin yeah. It's
0: clearly trying to be very emotional she, she is downtrodden she gets something yeah. nice will she be able to keep something nice yes she will and we're done and of course Eleanor oddly plays the the uh, mm-hmm. evil stepmother and she is Magnificent And I love her to pieces I think she's one of the best voice actors we ever had um, When S- uh, Kenneth Branagh was remaking Cinderella It was towards the beginning Of the wave of major Disney live action remakes It wasn't the first But it was. there have been so many since And it's the one time I feel that Disney knew how to do this because they took all of the visual cues, the iconography, all of the things that made the original work, except for the animation because it's live action, but narratively, everything that makes it work, and then in an attempt to beef it up, because Cinderella is you know, it's a bit trim as mm-hmm. a film, instead of adding a bunch of bullshit which they often do. More musical numbers, more comic relief characters, yeah,
2: exactly. more ta- plot. Talking, Here's a long uh, sequence with the dung beetle. like ta- Talking mice in clothes in, in yeah. Cinderella. Uh, yeah. Mm. yeah. Uh, Kenneth Branagh has, has anthropomorphic mice, but they're not in clothes. No. And they don't talk. No. They, and, they're just and, CGI animated mice. Classy. <laughs> what he does is he amplifies the
0: characters. Mm. It's so much better. We get... First off, Cinderella, who was always a bit just, oh, everything's horrible, but I'll try to keep a good face.
2: But not not uh, Bella Heathcote, it was... Um, Lily James. Lily James. Lily James, she's great on this. Bella Heathcote and Lily James were in Pride and Prejudice. And, and zombies. And zombies yeah. together. Uh, Lily James plays Cinderella, and in this one you realize that her...
0: B- by being subjugated to her stepmother and her sisters isn't something that she's doing because she has, she isn't strong-willed, but because she has an ethos, she believes in goodness so profoundly that even when it does her personally harm, she refuses to stop. Mm -hmm. Uh, We spend more time with the prince, played by Richard Madden. Richard Madden is a character in this version, not just a prize to be won. And they engineer a few situations in which he actually gets to... Meet and like And realize he has a deep connection With Cinderella before the ball And at the ball In addition to dancing all nice and stuff Which they do and it's lovely They also talk (laughs) And so The one time in a Cinderella movie Where I'm thinking to myself I think they might make it (laughs) They might actually be good together Holy shit And then even better than that Kate Blanchett plays the evil stepmother and she also has a character. She's not just evil. Mm-hmm. She actually has feelings. She actually has emotional reasons for why she does what she does that make her if not sympathetic, then understandable and a little tragic in her own right. Yeah. I genuinely think and I've seen so many different versions of Cinderella over the years.
2: I genuinely think this is the best cinematic version of it. Um, I, 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 what I like about Kenneth Branagh is uh, when when he's firing on on, cilind- on all cylinders, he yeah. uh, tends to uh, play very big. He's very theatrical yeah. uh, as as a director, I like just you know, play a lot of music and have a lot of like. Uh, there's a really wonderful scene, a very incidental scene in, mm. in a Cinderella movie that's probably my favorite one, is when the prince and his men yeah. are just hanging around sword fighting and laughing lustily. They're like, manly men they're doing like Robin manly Hood in that things. scene. Yeah. yeah. And like, then I'm gonna take off my vest and have a have a drink of wine and ha <laughs> carouse, carouse. And it's <laughs> and you see some like recognizable uh, kind of repertory players in that scene as well. Sure. Um I appreciate everything he did in sort yeah. of fleshing out the characters a little bit. I think the actual, like, magical stuff is not so interesting. But it's, it also isn't that visu- much of the movie. I suppose not. It's it's visually very muddy in a lot of it, especially mm. in the night scenes. I uh, love also, what they do in the dress. I think the dress is really beautifully uh, realized. Everything and... you were talking about uh, had been done equally well in a film from 1998 called Ever After, with Andy, uh, directed by Andy Tennant, uh, where Drew Barrymore played the Cinderella character. Is that on your list? part it's not okay uh, uh, no, then oh, fair enough um, because I think Cinderella isn't a terribly engaging story no matter how well you tell it <laughs> but in that one uh, that's a little bit more of a feminist version the 90s feminist version right uh, where Angelica Houston played the evil stepmother uh, also Mel- great casting Melanie Linsky was one of the stepsisters also great one. casting Drew Barrymore uh, played Cinderella um, and, uh, and Gray Scott Gray Scott was the the uh, prince yeah and yeah. that was very much like a little fair Emmy yes. TV kind of version <laughs> really of the story was. so it had like a much more strong aesthetic than something like Kenneth Branagh, who is a little bit too beholden to the 1950 film that he was clearly told to remake. I, I, I'm, I'm quite fond
0: of Ever After. It didn't make my list. Mm. Um, Ever After came out when I was in high school and a lot of the people I went to school with were instantly in love with it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. It's a, it's a likable movie. Uh. It's a very, la- it's a great slumber party movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: It's a the, little. That dress Drew Barrymore wears at the end, like her, so her gown. Yeah. It's oh like, yeah. It's like oh, okay. a so, lot of people some, were like, "I'm gonna wear that to elaborate of when yeah. <laughs> that's invented." Um,
0: there's a lot to like about that movie. It's a very good movie. It didn't make my top ten, and the reason why is because I just feel like it's very ingrained in its era, mm. um, and a lot very, of, very much. Yeah, a lot of the humor, dated. a lot of the very specific uh, uh, sort of presentations of Cinderella as a more modern character is modern. For the 90s, and I don't Mm. think some of it's aged great, even though it's not really offensive, it's just dated Uh, They added some weird stuff, like, also her best friend is Leonardo da Vinci, just in case that'll (laughs) be important
2: later Who can say? Waka waka! Um, And it's narrated by an elderly Cinderella Oh, I forgot about yeah, that. Like there, yeah, like there's an introduction where, because I think they probably threw that in after, because uh, it came after Titanic. Yeah. And Titanic, you know, steamrolled over everything. So it's yeah, like we're yeah, going to do like that Gloria really Stewart thing where, uh, so I'm Cinderella. I'm very old. Yeah. My husband's dead now. Oh. Here's my story. And, you know, do we so you need to
0: throw in the dead thing right away. Oh, yeah, I think okay. I think it
2: adds, adds a little bit more of a, okay, there's not yeah. a. So not happily ever after, just, just until he dies. Ha- happily for a while, you know? Okay. Life continues. I
0: like Ever After a lot. It's a great double feature here. I mm-hmm. honestly think this is the better version. But if you prefer Ever After, I totally get it. Yeah. See that version, too. I like it a lot. Just didn't make my list. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your next pick? No, what, I what assume what you didn't s- pick Kenneth Branagh Cinderella. I did not pick Kenneth okay. Brown Cinderella. What else did you pick? I, I like Kenneth Branagh Cinderella. I don't
2: okay. want to poo-poo. Well, it, I'm, yeah. I'm
0: done with, unless yeah. there's some they're only like obliquely related to, I think I'm done right. with Disney movies. So. Okay, uh,
2: this uh, next film is based on a 19th century Czech folktale uh, by, let me look up the name of the author. Um, I'm probably mispronouncing this because I'm not fluent sure. in Czech, but uh, Jaromir Erben, I believe, is the name of the author. All right. Uh, and it was adapted by one of the most masterful Czech filmmakers there is, Jan Svankmajer.
0: Oh, okay. And Jan
2: Svankmajer, in the uh, year 2000, made a film called Little Otik. Yeah. And Little Otik is fucking weird. I've actually never seen all of tales Little Otik. Because are fucking weird. Yeah. Uh, it's like children being hatched out of eggs. And, mm. uh, you know, this all goes back to, like, Ovid's metamorphoses, where people sort of transform into animals based on their characters, or vice versa. Uh, the reality is mutable mm. in fairy tales in this kind of dark surrealist sort of a way so yeah. what better filmmaker to tackle a fairy tale than a surrealist Jan Svankmajer is very openly a, a surrealist and
0: Jan Svankmajer is not just a surrealist he's also a stop-motion animator yeah, yeah and sure. even though not all of his movies are exclusively stop-motion a lot of them have elements mm-hmm. of that yeah and, uh, and this one is one of them i again I've never seen all of Little Otik so I'm going to take a back seat on this mm-hmm. one but I love Svankmajer's work yeah. Um, so tell me, tell me, yeah, yeah. Give, give me all the plot of this one because so I don't think everyone knows it, this fairy tale.
2: It's, it's a it's a modern update of the fairy tale, but uh, the idea is uh, a childless couple. that cannot have a child. Yeah. That's an, another element of fairy tales. Um, to to sort of go back to sort of fairy tale origins for a mm. while, uh, family units, uh, breeding, and grandmothers are all very important in these stories. And if you uh, and you'll see why if you realize that a lot of these stories were being told by grandmothers to grandchildren Mm. while the parents were out working. So you'll notice that the old crone uh, archetype is usually a very powerful figure, Mm. kind of wicked, but very strong. Uh, And they're always at odds with uh, sort of the the more boring parent figures who are often very absent. Mm. Think of like Little Red Riding Hood or, or Hansel and Gretel or Rapunzel, that kind of thing. Uh, so yeah, there's this, uh, childless family and they decide to, uh, one of them is digging in the, the dirt and digs up a root that looks kind of like a child and they raise it like a child and it comes to life, but it's voracious and starts eating things and growing and it starts eating people after a while. It's kind of a monster story. Mm. Jan Schmackmeyer just sets that in the modern day as a uh, childless couple, uh, and, the mother finds that if she hides a pillow under her shirt, she can kind of pretend that she's becoming pregnant because right. she really d- dreamed of it. She really wanted a child. And she even, like, sizes out how big her stomach would get, changes the size of the pillows. Once again, uh, somebody's digging in the yard. They dig out this root. She ends up dressing it like a child. And then she says, well, when the child's born, this will be our child. And it's just a piece of wood. It's got, like, kind of this snout-shaped mouth on it and has a little bonnet it looks really weird looking and uh, she goes through this whole, this whole sort of play acting being pregnant f- throughout you know, as long as pregnancy would be all nine months of it and then at the end of it that route comes to life hmm. and it's like the fucking eraser head baby it never stops screaming <laughs> It's got, like, these weird knotted, rooty hands, and it bangs on stuff, and they can't ever stop feeding it. And, of course, the more they feed it, the bigger it gets, and it ends up being, like, eight feet tall and starts eating people in this little apartment complex somewhere nice. in Prague. Sounds uh, like the movie Troll. A little bit. And, yeah, yeah. there's the young girl lives in the uh, in the building. She's, like, maybe nine or ten. Um, in, in a really strange twist, there's also, uh, like, a creepy old man who's, like, trying to creep on the little girl, And she ends up like facing off against him. So there's this sort of like a child predator uh, story worked into it as well. Uh, And you're not sure how this thing's going to resolve itself. Is this going to be like at the original ending of uh, Little Shop of Horrors? Is Little Otik going to become Big Otik and take over the world? Mm. How are they going to destroy this monster? Do they want to destroy the monster because it's their child? Kind of. Uh, It... It's difficult to tell if it's a cautionary tale. Yeah. Or it, or what kind of story that Jan is What are we supposed to be getting to out of this? I'll, well, yeah. I think what he's trying to say is a lot of these old folk tales, a lot of these fairy tales are monster stories. And it really is sort of a adding an element of horror to what more naturally comes in a lot of fairy tales. Mm. Uh, we were just talking about Sleeping Beauty. That has goblins and evil fairies and mm-hmm. I think that movie's really good about sort of highlighting, in a kid-friendly way, the horror of those creatures. Yeah. Uh, I've always liked when uh, Disney animated features tries to play into, like, monsters and haunted house imagery. That's kind of exciting. Mm. Jan Schwankmeyer is trying to say, no, this is all really horrible and disgusting and strange
0: um yeah well it's, i i i can haven't seen that one mm. uh, i i can only apologize uh, i don't have I, I actually have a couple of very european uh-huh. movies uh on my list but there's one that i kind of want to talk about now because this came out and was quickly overlooked and I don't think anyone's really revisited it since. But I think it's actually one of the better art house horror movies we've had of the last few years. And it deserves another It deserves another go. Mm. Uh, it has a very Euro style, even though it's from American filmmaker. Uh, filmmaker Osgood Perkins, the son of Anthony Perkins. Mm. Uh, it is called Gretel and Hansel. Not the other way around. Mm. You're used to Hansel and Gretel. But I, that's because you're an asshole.
2: I didn't see this no, it's one. Not uh, it's, I, I have it's a, seen Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. Yes, which is which <laughs> is fun. It's a, it's it's amusing. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing with with Hansel and
0: Gretel Witch Hunters. Uh, Hansel and Gretel, of course, is a story of two kids who are uh, you know their parents can't take care of them. They're sort of left into the woods to be eaten. Let's be fair; they're not very good parents. Uh, and then they find their way into a house made of candy. The witch who lives in that house initially seems quite nice because she's got a house made of candy, but eventually she's going to eat the kids and they have to try to escape. Um, It's been toyed with many, many times. Uh, As I mentioned before, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, very much a modern update of that similar motif. Different message overall, but same basic vibe. Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters uh, is from a director named Tommy Vercola and he took the idea, the very literal interpretation of this, which is what if witches were real? And after Hansel and Gretel killed one, they became professional witch hunters mm. and hunted witches. Which that's, is. That's a fun comic book idea. Which is fun are. until you really think it out, because you got to remember that around this time, well, the, people the were actually tra- being
2: accused of witchcraft uh, don't and killed. I think. The witch trials aren't a part of that movie, are they? No,
0: but you got to remember that the Salem witch trials that we know so intimately in America, thanks to stuff like The Crucible, um, wasn't the only witch trials. Europe was full of witch trial shit. Hmm. Uh, There's a really wonderful and genuinely harrowing movie uh, starring Vincent Price called The Witchfinder General, sometimes released uh, as The Conqueror Worm because... That was a Poe poem, yeah. and Vincent Price and Poe was like a surefire box office bonanza in the 60s. Oh, what a time to be alive. Uh, and uh, in that one, he plays a guy who literally just goes from town to town hunting witches. Hey, does anyone have any witches here? I will I will test them to see that they are witches. And what he, he knows he's full of shit, and he's making shit up as he goes along, as an excuse to be paid to torture and murder people. Uh, if you've ever, I, I read the Malleus Maleficarum when I was in college. Like, that's like, hey, this this whole book about how witches do their shit. Yeah, uh, you made that shit up, didn't you? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a whole long, shitty tradition. Uh, Grenlin Hansel uh, is not one that says, it, it is saying that the witch is real, but it's not trying to say like, but it's cool, right? Um, it's more allegorical. Um, It stars Sophia Lillis from the new Dungeons & Dragons movie. She was also in the It movie. Uh, uh, And uh, it's her and her little brother Hansel. Mm -hmm. Uh, Their mother is starving and basically chases them out of the house with an axe. And they are trying to find a place for themselves in the world. A world that has no interest in them. Mm -hmm. Certainly no interest in caring for them. Uh, Her options are basically... Get a job being sexually exploited by her boss, or run away into the woods and hope for the fucking best. So they do that. They run into this very creepy house in the middle of the woods, uh, and it's not made of candy. But inside, there is a huge smorgasbord of food, and the the lady of the house is played by the inimitable Alice Krige. Mm. Uh, you may recall as the Borg Queen. Mm. From Star Trek First Contact, she was also uh, the lead cat vampire in um, Sleepwalkers. Uh-huh. Great actor, just generally. Uh, she plays the witch so fucking wonderfully and beautifully and creepy. Um, and they, we actually spend more time with them at the house as we realize that being a witch means you have to do some pretty despicable shit. Also the only option available to a lot of women. Mm. And so Gretel is finding herself increasingly tempted to witchcraft. And it'd be a good double feature with The Witch, which plays this a bit more obliquely until the end. But uh, in Gretel and Hansel, it's more direct. It's wonderfully starkly production designed. Lots of like really sort of just eerie uh, uh, like Euro art house Horror imagery If you know what I'm talking about You know what I'm talking about uh, And um, I think it's one of the better Versions of Hansel and Gretel They, they don't usually do a lot of Straightforward adaptations of Hansel and Gretel uh, as, a, as a feature film uh-huh. We usually see a lot of like TV episodes And shorts and things uh, But this one's really really good The performances are excellent Production design stellar uh, It's really smart uh, I think Oz Perkins is one of the better horror filmmakers out there, even though it doesn't quite have the impremature that, you know, someone like Ari Aster or, um, uh, Robert Eggers has. Uh, but this movie is great and I hope more people see it.
2: Okay. So, there you go. Yeah. Can't, can't comment. Um, yeah.
0: Well, I couldn't comment on Little Odick, so there you
2: know, uh, is fair with it. I wasn't holding it over you. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite, um, uh, Hansel and Gretel stories uh, came from the Matt Groening series Disenchantment. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is not a very good show, unfortunately. I can uh, get into it. Yeah. Um, cu- cute idea, but yeah, just not as funny as something like Futurama or The Simpsons. Uh, but uh, in one of the, the bits, uh, they the main characters are like on the, on the run. The, the cops are chasing them. They hide out in a house, and it's the Hansel and Gretel house. It's made of candy. And... They run into Hansel and Gretel in the house, but they're adults now. They've mm. been living there for years, and uh, they've actually, like, taken over the witch's job. Oh. Like, th- so now they, they're they didn't the witches. Ju- They didn't just kill the witch, they ate the witch, and they got a taste for human flesh. Okay. So now they're luring people there, and they've been, like, eating humans th- for, like, decades. That's <laughs> fun. Everyone likes it's a like, good cannibalism like, story. Yeah, and, and somebody kills Gretel, and Hansel says, oh, no... We were going to grow up together and eat a family. <laughs> it's really cute. Good comedy there. Uh, All right. What's your next pick? Um, let's see. Uh, this one is based. Oh, it's I'm based, sure... is it? Oh, it's based. Uh, <laughs> totally based. I'm not even a hundred percent sure what that word means. There was a book, uh, written in the 1860s on mm. the history of witchcraft in France. Okay. And it inspired a lot of modern witch lore that we see in movies today. Okay. Um, you know, sort of what you were talking about, how witches sort of consort and the kinds of spells they say and the kinds mm-hmm. of deals with the devil that they Write make. Write your
0: name in the uh, book, uh, that, th- kind of shit, that, yeah. that kind of shit. That kind of
2: shit. But uh, this is a film that has supernatural elements and it does have mm-hmm. a demonic force that the main character does enter into a deal with. But it's mostly about how women were victimized in the Middle Ages. Okay. And how a lot of these consorts with the devil were meant to give them agency it wasn't about blackening their souls it was about being uh, accused and it was very hmm. very much about their sexual exploitation Okay. because the main character in this movie is assaulted repeatedly throughout the movie Yikes! Uh, it's a Japanese film uh, from 1973 it's called Belladonna of Sadness oh see I wasn't sure uh, no. and thank you thank you um, you're very cute I actually wasn't sure if this qualified as a fairy tale or not okay. but it's a great movie and I love this yeah, movie um, it's, it's yeah. tough
0: yeah, it's a tough one because it
2: is. It's really beautiful, beautifully animated. Um, not a lot of movement in the animation. It's sort no. of like paintings that unfold. We see pieces yeah. of them appear very slowly, and there's a lot of narration over it. It's very dreamy. Mm. Uh, you'll have to be very alert. It's like has almost a, a somnambulist feeling to it as it kind of dreams through these dark passageways. It takes mm. you down. Um, but yeah, it's about a, a young woman named uh, Jeanne. She is in love with a man named Jean, and uh, on their wedding night, she's assaulted okay. by the local gentry, uh, which is not, not as common as like a movie like Braveheart might have you think, but that's what happens to this uh, woman. Uh, in exchange, she's approached by the devil, and the devil is... In this version of things, by Played by Tatsuya Nakadai, one of the I know. Ever actors. <laughs> William's very fond of Tatsuya Nakadai. Right, he's one of my favorite uh, actors. He, I'm sorry, he, I'm over here, I'm
0: feeding the cat. He, he some plays he he's complaining.
2: And the devil in this is is essentially just a, a big phallic symbol. Like he yeah. he is like male sexuality towering over this woman. And there's um that sort of element, if you remember from Macbeth, there's the Lady Macbeth mm-hmm. speech where she says, "Unsex me this night." Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole idea is she can no longer be beholden to the the trappings of gentle fairy tale feminism, and wants to give herself over to violent male fantasies. She wants to right. move from female to male. Uh, so this is about sort of female energy trying to take on male agency in a world where that's sort of the only option for women uh in a very directly symbolic way uh and and the story continues on in all of these weird ways like what happens to jean and he becomes like gives up on uh sort of uh, his old profession and becomes i think an accountant or something and then uh does such a bad job he gets his hand cut off and he's very disillusioned meanwhile she uh starts to consort and get these powers from uh, the devil. She runs across a, a town that's been infected by the plague and she's able to secure it, but now that she has this male sexual energy in her, she essentially says, now that you're all cured of the plague, this is an orgy town and everybody starts having sex with each other. Uh, it it goes all over the place. right? Uh, and, it's, and, it, and it's essentially just sort of a reading or kind of like reading dialogue out of an old tale. So this thing's in and out in like 81 minutes and right. a lot happens in that time. Uh, It's harrowing and tragic, and I like that it points out how a lot of these fairy tales are, and we were talking about, you know, Cinderella is trying to add feminism to these fairy tales. And you can thank uh, Disney for a lot of this, the sort of uh, taking these sort of fairy tales and leaning into the non-feminist takes of them. Yeah, Uh, having them being sort of non uh, anti feminist parables, how uh, you know brave brave heroes, all these archetypes are sort of being perpetuated into the 20th century by these Disney animated pictures. Um, Belladonna of Sadness is trying to point out that exploiting women and putting women in positions of uh, passivity and weakness has long been one of the central tropes of a lot of these ancient fairy tales and and Mm. additionally tales of witchcraft and i feel like belladonna of sadness uh really hammers home the tragedy of that Mm. how everything is just really harrowing and horrible and it's just exhilarating to watch
1: Mm.
2: you've seen it yeah yes no i have it's been a while uh but i i
0: absolutely this movie was obscure for a long time and i guess to some people it still would be but in the mid 2010s or so it got restored uh it did like sort of the indie movie circuit for a while here they had some very prominent screenings here in la you can get a nice blu-ray of it i think still uh and it was just just rediscovered and celebrated and with damn good cause it is it's just stunningly presented. A lot of, like you say, like a lot of the animation is more sort of panning over mm. uh, larger works of art. Which, on one hand, seems like that's like a time saver, and I'm sure it was, but it is no less intricate for it. Um, it's angry
2: and mm. powerful, and but, but it feels like a like yeah. almost like an exploitation movie in a lot of ways. It has those oh, elements.
0: Yeah. It has those elements, but it, I think those elements are not. I think there is a danger sometimes of assuming that because something has exploitation elements or Mm. fits within an exploitation, take a drink, milieu, uh, that it cannot also be bigger than that. Mm. And I think Belladonna Sanchez is a great example of a film that could totally play to that audience, but is actually very intelligent, and very, uh, I think, profound. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's really fantastic. I wasn't sure it qualified as a fairy tale, so I left it off my list kind All of right. as a matter of course. I'm, I'm being maybe a little bit more conventional okay. than you are. Uh, but um, great pick. Hmm. Can't argue with it. For a second, actually, when you were started describing this, I thought you were going to discuss the film I was going to talk about next. Okay. Um, which is... Uh, A lot of uh, fairy tales, especially the Western fairy tales, uh, use certain tropes over and over again. Uh, A lot of fairy tales and and the like will use, for example, uh, the iconography of a wolf to represent uh, danger. Yeah, well wolves were uh you know wolves are predators. Wolves uh, are predators. Yeah. They don't really attack humans the way that a lot of stories would have you believe, In fact, mm-hmm. that's an incredibly uncommon thing, but they'll eat your livestock. You mm-hmm. know, they they are something to be to be they're, concerned they're about if danger, you're living yeah. in, the, in the in in the wild. Um so wolves get used in these stories rather a lot and they're often used as metaphors. Uh in the case of something like little red riding hood, for example, there is the very literal interpretation Mm -hmm. of the story, which is there's a predator in the woods. It likes to eat things because it's a carnivore. And it finds out that grandmother is easy pickings. So it eats the grandmother and then decides to trick Little Red Riding Hood in the process. Little Red Riding Mm -hmm. Hood in talking to strangers opens her family up to violence. There's also... A different read where Little Red Riding Hood walking through the woods being preyed upon by this extremely muscular, hairy, you know Wolfman. Wolf uh, Wolfman, wolf, yeah. wolf basically. Uh, is adult male sexual presence. Exactly. Yeah. So it's someone who is who's who's creeping on her in a very different way. Uh, and one of the movies that I think does an excellent job of a being a cool wolf movie where the wolf stuff looks really cool, mm. but also exploring what wolves mean in a lot of these narratives mm. is Neil Jordan's The Company of Wolves. Uh, did I shut I did think you that did that? no that's my runners up. I didn't okay. actually select Neil it. Neil Jordan's <laughs> The Company of Wolves. It's uh I think it's a triptych. It's it's definitely a couple of different stories mm. being told in it. Uh there's a there's a young girl, she falls asleep and she dreams these really frightening dreams about, based on all the fairy tales that she's been hearing. The, there's a grandmother telling, you know, Red Riding Hood, not straight from the path. Don't Talk to Wolves, she's played by uh, Angela Lansbury. Horrifying transformation effects in that particular one. There's a story <laughs> about a whole bunch of rich people who are transformed into wolves over the course of, like, uh, a very, like, bountiful... Uh, feast which feels very bunwell to me uh and then there's one that's more about um sort of the lusty aspect of uh, uh of wolverine
2: um well little red riding hood in particular yeah. is is i mean red riding hood this is a menstruation metaphor uh, mm-hmm. lord that's a very popular interpretation that's not you know yeah. me blowing the lid off of anything yeah uh, yeah about um A a lot of uh, critics have written about how Little Red Riding Hood is a a symbol for
1: uh,
2: young women's maturity and and menstruation, and um, and how the yeah the wolf is sort of a a male sexual predator who is uh, objectifying and trying to victimize a a young female. But
0: uh, but this is a story about people telling stories about wolves, the dangers of wolves. Granny tells two stories. The child tells a story. Uh, I think, I think the wolf might tell a story as well. Like, like we just—it's been a while since I've seen. it, I, it it's, I haven't seen it, and, honestly, to it's, very, coach and it's very dreamlike. Mm. Um, but it's got this really fantastic, arch sort of production design. It looks a little bit like uh of a piece with a movie that is clearly trying to be a fairy tale and I love it to pieces especially the director's cut but I decided it didn't belong on the list which is Ridley Scott's Legend. Okay. Uh which if you've never seen the director's cut with the orchestral score as opposed to the Roxy Music score. It's Tangerine t-
2: Dream. No, Roxy Music. Tangerine Dream does Legend.
0: Roxy Music does Legend. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm looking
0: this up. I could have sworn. It's Tangerine Dream. I sure Tangerine on. Dream. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Tangerine Dream. Does Roxy Music did do something on the soundtrack though? Uh,
2: okay, Ro- sure. Roxy Music's on the soundtrack, but San- yeah. Tangerine Dream also includes songs by Brian Ferry. Okay, I'm not mad. <laughs> I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I just have a bit
0: of a crush on Brian Ferry. Uh, that, so that's that's, 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 he, that's he, fair. He, he that's totally fair. usurped that in my head. But there's also an orchestral score by Jerry Goldsmith, who's a really, really great composer, mm. and his score for *Labyrinth*, not *Labyrinth*, *Legend*, *Legend*, which wasn't used, uh, but was restored
2: in the director's cut, which is also a cleaner version of the story, uh, is magical. There's it's a lot so of great. there's a lot of fun visuals in *Legends*. So cool. Uh, Tim Curry's devil outfit, you know, oh that god. costume One is pretty of the great. Movie monster. Super amazing. Oh my um, god, he's so cool. There's a, a really a wonderful sequence where um, Mia Sara, who yeah. plays the princess, she. Uh, she's meant to put on a dress and the dress is sort of like anthropomorphic mm-hmm. it kind of waltzes into the room it's on its own dancing and, and, trying do like a, it you know, and trying to like you know, trying trying to tempt and, her to wear this. And she, and she, and this she sexy kind of like dress. like absorbs into it. That's, that's a pretty so cool sequence. Cool. Uh, but the movie's boring as fuck. I, like it's it's such a boring story and I the characters. So, or, in the know.
0: director's cut. Okay. In the director's cut, I think it works. In any case, that's that's a movie that very much looks like it's shot on a sound stage.
2: And they, don't, yes. they don't they don't they
0: don't they don't hide it it's the aesthetic that they're going for no. they're going for that arts theatricality uh, and in that arts theatricality there's something kind of larger than life and beautiful about it uh, and in the company of the Wolves it's more explicitly for horror and yeah. subversive horror uh, as well uh, it's one of the better werewolf movies um, mm. it used to be I think one of the all-time greats and we've had a few really good ones since and I think it's been like knocked down a, cu- a, bit. a
2: couple there there still aren't a A huge amount of great werewolf There's still a
0: lot fewer great werewolf movies than there are, for example, great vampire movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this is definitely one of them, and by uh, evoking so many different uh, interpretations of different fairy tales and trying to uh, really lean into the psychosexual component of it,
2: uh, it really stands out.
0: I think it's a very, very cool motion picture, and I hope more people see it. All right,
2: what do you yeah, got? It, I, I, I saw it. I like it, but like I said, it's been a while since I've seen it. It hasn't sure. sort of sat with me, so I can't really uh, mm. recommend it wholeheartedly. I do have a, a little red writing story on my uh, oh, on my n- list. N- n- though. N- n- nice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and golly, it's such a pleasant, clean, not-at-all sleazy movie called Good. Freeway. Oh, uh, yeah. I, lo- I love me some I Freeway. You, I knew you were going to do it. Yeah, I, f- I figured, figured it. Anybody I'm actually, knows I'm actually about...
0: legitimately surprised it's not your number one.
2: Freeway's not my number one. I, I, yeah. Freeway was made by Matthew Bright, mm-hmm. uh, who's a, a filmmaker. It was his. Fr- I think it was the first film as a director, but uh, he was previously an actor who starred in uh, Forbidden Zone. Oh, there you go. Uh, he played... Um, Rene and Rene's twin brother uh, squeeze it, squeeze, squeeze like it, you. Renee Henderson, and uh, they go squeeze it. Has to trek into the the sixth dimension to find. Yeah. He, he uh, also Renee. wrote
0: Forbidden Zone, and yeah, it That's looks right, like yeah. it looks like Freeway was his uh, directorial debut. Yeah. yeah, and and he hasn't directed a lot of movies. He um, did
2: direct Freeway Two: Confessions of a Trick Baby, which is a Hansel and Gretel story uh, yeah. with um, I forgot who played Cyclona, but um, Natasha Leone, dude. No, she wasn't the main. She wasn't oh, Cyclona. Um, she was the other one. She was like uh, Maria Selydonio. So okay, uh, yeah, they they're the Hansel mm. and Gretel characters, and mm.
1: uh,
2: yeah, there's like they're they're trapped in juvenile hall, and they're using bulimia as like a revolutionary act, like. like Ooh. puking on wardens and stuff and wow. they, they break out of the prison that's and a they, lot. they leave a uh, trail of breadcrumbs but they don't have bread they just have like rock cocaine so they leave like a trail of coke through the, the that's forest. a
0: very expensive trail yeah well i mean that's
2: they don't care they're not gonna deal this stuff they just need a way to get back and, okay and they run into um sort of like the witch in the woods mm. uh who's a nun in this case played by vincent Gallo. All right, I'm done with this movie. Let's let's go back to
0: the first one. Let's so, go back to Freeway One. So Freeway the One is actually on your list. The, uh, Freeway uh, is also
2: fucked up. This it's movie, it's, by it's the way. insanely fucked up movie. Oh golly, I love how insane and fucked up this movie is. Yeah. Um, Reese Witherspoon plays the the Red Riding Hood character, and it's set in the modern day. And her life is miserable. Uh, her mom is played by Amanda Plummer. She's uh, out out busy. Uh, working the street. She's a sex worker. Uh, so she's at home with her stepfather who sexually assaults her on the regular. When they're both arrested, she decides to go live with her grandmother. Uh, and she, her car breaks down on the freeway and she's picked up by, uh, Kiefer Sutherland who seems to be a really nice guy. He's like a guidance counselor,
1: Hmm.
2: but he's got those Jeffrey Dahmer glasses He's clearly, like, kind of a sleaze, and as they drive, you get to see him, like, kind of open up about what a sleaze he is and how he intends to assault and kill her, and she ends up killing him and going on the run. Uh he survives. Yeah. He briefly kills him. Ho- ho- horrendously mutilated you and uh, continues. And out his, for revenge. Uh, out for revenge. And there's these two cops who are sort of like the intermediary. And she's like out on the, and she gets arrested. And there's a juvenile hall sequence mm. in that movie as well. Uh, oh, uh, uh, uh,
0: who's Brooke Shields plays. His, Brooke Shields his, plays.
2: Uh, the wolf's wife. Yeah.
0: Keep wife. she's so fucked up in this movie. Everyone like, is. Like, this she's, she's,
2: she's like doing super
0: soap opera acting I, I, in the movie. Everyone is. If you've. By the way, seriously, the the violence, the dialogue Mm. in this movie is pushing it. Mm. Like, they're really trying to be as disturbing as possible, and this movie is definitely not for everybody. However, if you think you've seen... Reese Witherspoon in movies <laughs> She should have gotten An Oscar nomination she, for this she, she, we are Legitimately so, She's so, great in this and, movie and, and I think Reese Witherspoon Can be a legitimately Great actor She's mm. legitimately amazing In something like Legally Blonde I thought she was fantastic In wild.
2: She mm, le- wild She's great yeah. in Wild She's really
0: really talented And she's she's got a lot of uh, She's got a lot of range actually That I think is Often not asked of her mm. Uh, Freeway is her getting to be This is 1996 She's
2: young Yeah yeah,
0: very young Full midnight movie (laughs) Camp genius Hmm. Reese Witherspoon Absolutely
2: on a scale of 1 to 10 She hits a 20 Yeah in this movie it's and a, she's and she pulls it up she's fantastic a wonderful scene where she uh, and this is sort of like mm-hmm. part of the red riding hood iconography they're going for mm-hmm. but uh she walks into a diner and she's covered in blood yeah uh, and she just sort of sits down and is like I'd like some pancakes please and the <laughs> the waitress is like completely terrified and she just sort of like looks down oh I must look a fright. <laughs> <laughs> y'all got a washroom like <laughs> Wonderful, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I can't and, recommend that it we it all to, audiences, and it goes to like pretty sick territory. It There's does. a lot of really uh, kind of gross uh, yeah. plot elements.
0: I think, I think ultimately, it it proves that it's not merely irresponsible and it actually does have things
2: to it, say it, but it definitely has a thrust you have to get
0: through some shit <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah
2: it's clearly uh, Matthew Bright is clearly trying to lean into shock and, yeah. and he succeeds I think he actually has an aesthetic and he has a voice yeah. and he has something he's trying to say through uh, this Red Riding Hood story and it again goes to fairy tales as exploitation stories yeah. and how the young feminine figures in these kinds of stories tend to be overlooked as objects Mm -hmm. and he's trying to put put not just give agency back to red riding hood but put it in this kind of sick modern context
0: yeah uh i love it to
2: pieces i'm going to
0: pick for my next film uh uh, a a a film Mm -hmm. that i'm gonna pick (laughs) <laughs> uh, no, I'm going to pick a film Good introduction I, No, 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 you, you picked a film, you picked uh, Scuzz Cinema Yeah Which is perhaps an underrated genre overall um, I'm going to pick a film that is from Maybe,
2: it's, it might not be Scuzz Cinema But it, most people would probably call it Garbage Cinema uh, uh, Scuzz, by the way, is a very specific yes. genre That probably can't, started coming into its own like the late 1980s mm. and it was a very specific type of crime drama mm. about the criminals and about about charismatic criminals you might say but yeah. not like mobsters like no, that, that, not, st- street tough not, toughs. not there attractive was no, there was no glamour in scu- hence the name no. it was about yeah. sort of these scuzzy it's about, people it's about wallowing yeah, yeah it's about wallowing um, sometimes yeah. they were miserable sometimes they were exhilarating I yeah. uh, might say um, something like uh, like reservoir dogs could be Considered scuzz I cinema, think that's but... I
0: think that's a very Generous reservoir mm-hmm. dogs But um uh, Maybe natural born killers Would be a better example All In right. terms of like the major You know Major examples But okay. I didn't think It was more of an indie genre Anyway um, I was using this As an awkward segue To talk about uh, Straight to video schlock Okay uh, Straight to video Is an expression mm-hmm. That doesn't come like, it, With it, a lot Of positive baggage Mm. A lot of movies go straight to video. And the general consensus, the general understanding is, well, if they were good, they'd have gone to theaters. Or, at the I, very least, would have been prominently featured on some streaming service.
2: I, I wish, like, some company like Troma had the temerity to put, like, too good for theaters. That'd be great, like, honestly. On, on their home video box. Honestly,
0: yeah. Uh, because, just because it goes straight to video doesn't mean it's bad. Sometimes it's really, really good. Well, there's and they been just been people a, couldn't figure out what to do with
2: it. There's been a... a a weird debate going on in terms of like straight to video because streaming is now bigger than uh, home you know, VHS market ever was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's so, a like whole is, streaming wars which are kind of coming to an end. But uh, Yeah.
0: Is it fair to call something like The Power of the Dog? Mm. like well, I guess that went that had a theatrical release, I guess. Maybe it's not a uh, best thing. Oh, but A Little Tiny Window yeah, is Yeah, the thing. true, true. But uh, like, is it fair I, to call a lot that, of these Netflix movies mm. like Bird Box? Mm. Like, is it fair to call that a straight-to-video
2: film. Well, technically, yes. It yes, went straight-to-video. If it, if it surpassed theaters and went straight to streaming service, it doesn't matter what the quality mm-hmm. or the genre exactly. or the, or the, and the budget is... was. And uh, uh, Steven Spielberg has yeah. gotten in a lot of hot water by saying those ones that go straight to streaming, it doesn't matter how good or high-profile they are. Uh, I are think TV something movies. like the Oscars should focus just on theatrical releases, and the See, Emmys should uh, work on those TV
0: movies. And I think that is entirely irrelevant unless you're just trying to decide criteria to, to motion picture. The yeah, girl well, and he just he just wanted I, I, much I, more stringent criteria. I'm just saying that, and I think that's yeah. a conversation to have, but it literally... The problem I find with a lot of people who are very stringent about what some of this sort of... Artistic terminology refers to Uh Is that they're not trying to Codify something For clarity I think a lot of people are trying to Preserve The baggage That's not a remake That is is Another adaptation of a book Uh Which we only really complain about because Remakes have a stigma against them Did you make it? Mm -hmm. Did you make it again? It's a remake I don't care if it's an adaptation Of a book there shouldn't be any stigma to this Uh, straight to video. Did it go to theaters? Then it's straight to video, (laughs) whether it's the best movie of the year or the worst. Mm. That's the the quality. As far as I'm concerned, when we're describing uh, either genre qualifiers or other such uh, sort of objective terminologies in order to categorize something quality is so subjective that people cannot agree on that. Ergo, it really cannot be used to distinguish a genre. You can't say, like, something isn't a found footage movie or a horror movie because it's good.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: No. (laughs) It's still that thing. It just needs these qualifiers. But in any case, straight to video. A lot of crap out there. And oftentimes, especially some of the schlockier things, I think it is fair to approach them... With, eh, let's say, a sliding scale Okay You know, I'm not gonna equate the movie I'm about to recommend on my top ten list In quality I'm not gonna say it's as good as Disney's Sleeping Beauty I'm not gonna say it's as good Mm-hmm. as the film we're going to put as my number one. What I am going to say is I was very pleasantly surprised by this movie. Okay. And normally this is what I would pick from like my, number, like my first pick, which I try to go for something sort of out there. Oh. Uh, but you you pick something I picked. Okay. Like, right off the bat, so that kind of got derailed, and then there was a natural segue to Kenneth Branagh. So, my pick...
2: Avengers Grimm by The <laughs> Asylum. <laughs> which was... Uh... The Asylum is a wonderful uh, street-to-video company that mm-hmm. do uh, what are what have come to be called mockbusters. Yeah. That is, they... Uh, they take lo- a thing that is about to come out or has only so, just something, come out. Something that's in production. Uh, because they're mm-hmm. making these films on the cheap, they can get them in theaters a lot faster. Mm-hmm. In fact, didn't they make two knockoffs of Top Gun Maverick before Maverick came they, out? They made, a, uh, they made
0: a knockoff of Top Gun Maverick uh, and then released it. A couple of months before Top Gun Maverick Was supposed to come out And then Top Gun Maverick got pushed back Because of the pandemic And it got pushed back It got pushed back so far That Asylum had an opportunity To make a sequel That actually ended up
2: going to theaters Not a uh-huh. lot But it was in Glendale <laughs> I it's almost like, went One theater in Glendale yeah, I, 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 by God I, I, they showed it I wish I could have gone I think it was called like Maverick the Gunner Or Top, like Gunner. F- Top Gunner Top Gunner It's called Top Gunner Yeah, bless uh, them <laughs> <laughs> and they do a lot of things that are, like, in the
0: straight-to-video, uh, not straight-to-video, uh, the public domain. They do a lot of things in mm-hmm. are public domain. Uh, for example, when Thor came out, they released a movie called The Almighty Thor, because Thor is in the public domain. <laughs> Thor is, like, a dead. <laughs> now, sure, their version of a Thor movie is a surfer bro... In like a fur jacket, like hanging out in Los Angeles while Richard Grieco plays Loki, and he's just sort of strolling through whatever neighborhood he lives and going, Ugh, "These humans." But by God, it was a movie, and they put it out, and bless them for it. They're not all equally bad. Sometimes the asylum puts out a movie that's actually pretty fun, and I actually was very pleasantly surprised by their film Avengers Grimm which is a, actually a double mockbuster because it was also in addition to being a mockbuster of uh the Avengers although I think it came out closer to Avengers Age of Ultron than it did the original Avengers it was also a mockbuster of the uh, ABC series Once Upon a Time which took all of the fairy tale characters made them live action said they all just mm-hmm. in the same universe and was very Disney related but basically okay so how do we do a mockbuster of a movie franchise where a whole bunch of pre-existing characters team up as superheroes to save the day when we don't have all those superheroes. Well, fairy tales are in the public domain, so we're going to create superhero versions of Red Riding Hood, uh Snow White, Cinder uh, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty and Rapunzel. Rapunzel like fights people with her hair. <laughs> Snow White can freeze shit. You see where this is going. Uh and uh, of course, we're going to cast uh, as the main villain, Stiltskin, Casper Eric. Van Deen.
2: I was going to say Eric Roberts, but no, okay. the, C- C-
0: Casper Van Deen is the Eric Roberts you get when you can't get Eric Roberts, Casper, or
2: possibly vice versa. I'll say this: I've I've talked to Casper Van Deen. I so got to interview him I. once. He's actually like a, a pretty talented actor. Like this like he's, he's got some some range to him. He's I'm, I'm, he's I, not he's not terrible. I, there's a reason I
0: picked this movie. He's actually playing a wrong part here he's not phoning it in yeah and in fact this movie is actually made with a lot of uh energy Mm. this movie has a lot of personality the characters are kind of interestingly defined uh there are a few kind of uh uh fun additions here there's a character uh, who doesn't make it into like a lot of these uh, fairy tale things but uh the uh, brothers grim fairy tale iron john uh, it's played by Lou Ferrigno. It's like an Iron Hulk type character, and that's kind of fun. All right, um, but yeah, Rumpelstiltskin's trying to conquer the land of fairy tales. Uh, he manages to jump through the magic mirror into the real world, uh, and he takes like Snow White with him, uh, and uh, the other fairy tale princesses decide to team up and save the real world. They get there. More time has passed there than you know than they realize. Like. Casper Van Dien's been on the loose for months And now he's like the mayor of New York And he's like slowly turning everybody Into his like mindless monsters And uh, Snow White Has turned herself into a vigilante And um It's reasonably Well constructed and written This is the kind of movie With the exact same budget style and tone If this had come out of the 80's We would be Looking back at it and going Oh, well, that was fun! Remember when they did that? <laughs> when they did, they didn't really have the budget to make it look cool, but like it had a bunch of good ideas and it was reasonably well written, and everyone just had a really good time. They should remake that with some money. They should do that now. Yeah, let's canonize that. Even though in the eighties it probably would have been a canon film, but uh, and, he,
2: and, and better for it.
0: And probably better for it. But this feels like a modern canon film. Mm. This feels like. Uh. Uh. Exactly that kind of schlock where the people knew they had a low budget, but they didn't decide to just phone it in and do the crappiest thing they could do. They said, let's push against that budget and try to make something genuinely entertaining. Mm -hmm. And I was genuinely entertained by this. Now, again, not on a $200 million blockbuster level. You can't compete with that, and asking it to is unreasonable. But for low budget, straight to video schlock, this is on the better end of that. They did this a couple more times. They did one called Time War, which I didn't see. And they did one that was like the fairy tale version of the Suicide Squad, which. I actually can't remember what they called that one. Hang on a second. Like, it's
2: silent film, like, like a suicide. Evil role. characters teaming up.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was about all the evil, uh, 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 sinister squad. Sinister is squad. What they call okay. it. it sucks. They all takes place in a warehouse. It's a good idea. Let's just do the same thing, but with all like the fairy tale villains. That's a great idea. Mm. Um, but they, I don't know if they didn't have the resources or just didn't have a good script. But it just that one doesn't work. But Avengers Grimm, genuinely fun. Like, I just really dig it, and I think this is an opportunity for me to raise the profile of something rather than just telling you Disney's Little Mermaid was good. Because, you know, it's kind of a big deal, that movie, the original Little Mermaid. Mm Have someone seen the new one. But, like, yeah.
2: So, Avengers Grimm. All
0: right.
2: I'll be that guy. (laughs) I'll be that guy. Yeah, You know what? Uh, One one of the functions of cinema is Mm -hmm. exploitation and tapping into... I admire what the asylum does, actually. I do too. Uh, sort of, I feel like what they're doing is taking a look at Hollywood and kind of taking the piss a little bit, mm-hmm. saying, "You know what? You have this idea. It's not that original. No, it's not. We we can just bang out the exact same movie mm-hmm. before you made yours. You made you mm-hmm. spent two hundred fifty million dollars on our, on yours. It's, we spent two hundred fifty on ours. It's it's kind of a subversive act of criticism in a yeah. lot of ways, which is
0: basically just like y- you're also making schlock." You're just hiding behind a budget. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, maybe arguably it's better. Mm. Uh, but it's still schlock. <laughs> and we're just not and we're just never gonna apologize for yeah. doing it. And, and some are better than others, just like anything else. But yeah, Avengers Avengerscript, fun flick. Yeah. What I you got next?
2: I don't have anything that's like quite comparable. That's okay. Um, it's doing a complete in about terms face. Of like uh, like action because I don't have any real like action pictures on my uh, on my list. Okay. Uh, but uh A work of literature that constantly gets adapted Mm. Uh, so much. There was a year when uh, three Pinocchios came out in one year. Ah. There was uh, there's Guillermo del Toro's stop motion animation version of Pinocchio. Yeah. There's Robert Zemeckis, mostly CG version of Pinocchio, which which
1: which was uh, ported
2: over from the 1930s movie. Just a terrible motion. It's terrible. And then there was this uh, really bizarre Russian animated film that Yeah n- Not a lot of people saw it Which, And it was uh, in
0: America it, There were actually Two dubs of it There was an English language Dub from like the original uh, An actual Russian cast Yeah But then they Redubbed it In with order to Bigger uh,
2: celebrity big,
0: yeah. Well They got Polly Shore
2: Cele- they, yeah, got, You know who he is, is. Shore in
0: 2022 <laughs> Is not the biggest draw Yeah uh, But they got him By God uh, And that, that version Exists too I haven't seen all of it But I've seen enough so no, I don't really feel like watching the rest. Uh, so I guess you, I guess you're going with a Pinocchio.
2: Yeah, I'm going with Pinocchio. Um, the Which original version? novel is by Carlo Collodi. Uh, uh, it was adapted into a science fiction story called uh, "Super Toys Last All Summer Long" by an author named Brian Aldous. And oh. that version was adapted by Stanley Kubrick, who died during production. Okay, and was taken over by Steven Spielberg a right. film called AI, Artificial Intelligence. You know,
0: I, I actually thought uh, of this. Yeah.
2: I decided that even though there's a
0: fairy in the story, mm-hmm. Pinocchio being like a serialized work of fiction written mm-hmm. recently enough that the author, we know who made it up. Yeah. Uh, I thought it kind of pushed the limit of whether it's Something a fairy tale. But if, a if lot of people consider counting,
2: it a I was going to say, if, if we're counting Hans Christian Andersen, we can count Carlo Collodi. A lot
0: of people did. Uh, yeah.
2: I decided to err on the side of caution and not go there, but mm-hmm. fair enough. Um, this is uh, Pinocchio, but a science fiction story. Mm-hmm. Um, in mm-hmm. Pinocchio, it's there's a magical element. Uh, a, a puppet maker, a toy maker, makes a child out of wood. Wishes it to to be alive, and it yeah. comes to life, and it starts walking around and talking, and he becomes its father, and it goes on a lot of merry adventures, and because it's such a new being, such a new mm-hmm. creation, it is uh, constantly taken advantage of by mm-hmm. uh, swindlers.
0: It's also worth noting that in the original story, Pinocchio himself was kind of an asshole. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was a he was a spoiled, shitty kid. I mean, not, maybe "spoiled" isn't the right word, but uh, he was a
2: shitty kid, not spoiled, just yeah. not kind because yeah. he didn't have a conscience, and that's yeah. why he required a, a separate being, the cricket. A lot of social commentary yeah. in that story. Yeah. Uh, Stanley Kubrick wanted to do that. Now, Stanley Kubrick, uh, you can see uh, sort of the bitterness in that story yeah. because Pinocchio isn't a good kid, and uh, in fact, you can might be able to even see a parallel between. Uh, a version of Pinocchio might do and something like Barry Lyndon yeah. which is a character who is also kind of a scoundrel yeah. who just sort of wanders through the countryside uh, living through these kind of extraordinary uh, experiences but not really contributing to them No, and kind of, just just, like kind of sucking off of everything he's, yeah. he's,
0: he's a leech he's trying to like survive and he will completely adapt to it. Is he a soldier now is he a gambler now is he just a yeah. gigolo everywhere he goes people know the part he's playing and, and it's,
2: it's not that he's enriching his life he's just sort of stumbling yeah. through at Barry yeah. Lyndon Yeah. Um, I love that movie. Spielberg took it over. And this was a big turning point, I feel, for Steven Spielberg in terms Mm. of his aesthetic, in terms of the kind of stories he felt like he could tell. Mm. Because it was clearly a challenge for him. He is typically a very sentimental filmmaker. And uh, AI is not that sentimental a story. No, it's very bitter. Uh, Yeah. And um, it's about a, a. a family whose child is not dead But in like a coma Yeah Has been terribly injured And in order to sort of uh, Get rid of their anxieties They buy I guess it's the near future uh, An artificially intelligent android mm-hmm. Android child To sort yeah. of serve as the uh, Sort of like an airsat son For a little while
0: Except this one has a new mm-hmm. uh, New type of coding yeah, Where it, if you it want can, It can
2: imprint on you If you like.
0: want It can recreate the emotion of love It's a, it's a facsimile Hmm. but it will love you and it will be permanently bonded to you yeah uh and in the mother's desperation she decides to do that and at first it seems great and then the kid wakes up from the coma and now they have this extra child who no one really wants there anymore and And she decides to instead of giving it back to the company Hmm. or deactivating it in some way she decides to Abandoned it in the woods.
2: Well, she she's on the way to return it to the company, and and uh, this android child, by the way, doesn't look like a machine. It looks like a real person. It's Haley Joelosm. Haley Joelosm, and yeah, like he behaves in this robotic fashion. Yeah, but it does not like circuitry or anything. Yeah, Uh, and yeah, she abandons it in the woods, and. In this version of the world, it's sort of like in Pinocchio, the world is very uh, inhospitable. It's a very yeah. ho-
0: hostile and, world. and it's
2: specifically inhospitable, too, because Pinocchio, in the original story, is the only one of his kind. Mm. Here, robots are everywhere. Yeah, and they're, they're artificially intelligent. Mm-hmm. But uh, they're not they're necessarily con- self-aware. They're, they're not necessarily self-aware and they're not considered alive. Yeah. So, uh, so people th- hunt androids just for sport and have them like, yeah. fight in arenas They're, they're used
0: as sex workers, which mm. can be abused. They are uh, publicly executed in, like, giant Luddite presentations. Like, yeah, yeah. like you would have, like, a monster truck show, except we're going to mm. kill a bunch of robots who are begging you not to kill them. Mm. Um, really fun.
2: Yeah, well, and, yeah. and and this is a film where uh, android technology has clearly outpaced uh, like human morality. Yeah. Uh, and in that 2001 Kubrickian sort of way, we're seeing that humanity is being left behind by our creations. Yeah. And true love now mm. belongs to the machines. Yeah. And it doesn't belong to humanity any longer. Yeah. And things like dreaming and looking forward to uh, something better, even like mm. afterlife and spirituality. Well, well just believing become, in something
0: that isn't real. Yeah. Believing yeah. in something because it gives you hope and purpose, mm. something that isn't tangible, that's, something that's that is now illogical.
2: That's not something that we've passed on to the machines. Um, there's yeah. a, a really great uh, spoof. I'm going to reference Futurama again, because okay. they spoof uh, yeah. the Twilight Zone uh, periodically throughout mm-hmm. Futurama. They have a show called The Scary Door.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And... Um, they, they go through this very quickly. It's like, I've created a robot to do my chores for me. Do my chores, robot. Yes, I will do your chores. Uh, daddy, daddy, I want to hug you. Oh, no, I I, I, I don't want to play with you. Robot, play with my children. Uh, the children come back. Daddy, daddy, I want to play with you again. Oh, uh, okay, I'll play with you now. Oh, no, I meant the android. I fell in love with the android. Oh, no, no, I fa- my family cares about the android instead of me. Android, feel this, iron- this irony for me. And... <laughs> And the android falls to its knees and goes, no! I don't remember that one. That one's good. And he just sort of like (laughs) sips a martini. It's kind of cute. We've passed that on to the androids in in AI. And it's a really weird animal, AI, because it's clearly at war with that cynicism. And Spielberg's need to be sentimental. Well, I think, and I think, you know, Kubrick
0: could have directed this himself if he wanted to he was he was mm. pre- working on it while he was alive yeah uh and he was working with steven spielberg and he thought steven spielberg was the right person to direct it yeah i think he was right about that mm. uh well, but you it would have need very very different movies if you if
2: Kubrick had actually made it
0: Kubrick is often sort of written off as an unemotional filmmaker and i don't think that's true mm. i think he's a very emotional storyteller who likes to photograph his things unemotionally yeah he likes to present them to the audience in a more antiseptic way mm. Uh Which and I like, it... I like his aesthetic Yeah, but there. his characters are often incredibly emotional within those spaces And we're sort of, instead of being in their shoes, we're watching them mm. uh, That's not Spielberg Spielberg wants you in there He wants you feeling uh And I think that's one of his greatest strengths. It sometimes is one of his greatest weaknesses, but Mm. it's certainly something that's just deeply ingrained in him. He wants you to go to the cinema Mm. and feel. And asking you to go to the cinema and feel a Pinocchio story feels like it's up his alley, right? This is the guy who brought you Hook. But then when that Pinocchio story is filtered through the rather cynical view of humanity that Stanley Kubrick could have, that's a contrast you need. If this was pure cynicism, it would be difficult to sit through. Maybe brilliant, but difficult to uh-huh. sit through. If it was pure, sort of maudlin emotion, it would have been insufferable. Yeah. But because it is, and this is a story about a pure, innocent, loving being mm-hmm. trapped within a cynical world, it forces Spielberg to work within his skill set while also developing all new skills and i think when you look at and you said this, yourself, this is such like a milestone for him when you look at his work after this he's changed a little bit yeah,
2: yeah like i
0: don't think i don't think the, the spielberg the, the, who made minority changes, the pacing is different i don't think the spielberg movies. who made yeah. minority report is the spielberg who made hook i think he's yeah. a different guy and i think this is a great example of it it's full of ideas great i love jude law in this movie he's so great gigolo joe the the android he's great i think he's fantastic he should have been oscar nominated for this i love him in this movie um full of brilliant ideas incredible sequences um maybe more than the movie can handle Mm -hmm. i don't think that's a terrible thing to just be too full of good stuff yeah um some have argued that the ending is too much. A lot of oh, people, it's perfect. I love I, the ending. A lot um, of people tend to criticize Spielberg's endings. Uh-huh. Um, sometimes I think it's justified, sometimes not. Uh, my Nerd Report is a good example here. A lot of people think that, oh, that should just end when Tom Cruise arrests a guy. And I'm like, yeah, uh, if it did, you would all be complaining about all the story threads that are completely left dangling. <laughs> you need the rest of the movie. Mm. And I think in AI, there's a very depressing downer ending. Uh, that ends. I don't have it from like maybe ten like minutes before it actually does. There's, yeah,
2: there's, but a, it's a. It's not the point. I feel like that would have been a, a fine ending. By the yeah. way, uh, where probably it, would work fine. There's a mo- there's, the there's a moment where it could have ended very tragically, and and it could have just ended there, and it would have yeah. been a, a good kind of a yeah. bitter ending about how we... It's more of a 70s sci-fi like, Yeah, like, we, like yeah. we've passed all of our emotions onto our machines mm. and we've sort of let them suffer in perpetuity on our behalf. Yeah. Uh, and I understand that ending and that's good. Um, yeah. And I feel like what Spielberg did after that, sort of there's a, a, another... Um, a uh, coda if you yeah, will uh, that happens thereafter and i don't want to say what happens i haven't seen the movie because it's yeah. actually really kind of shocking it, it, it is a big um, about face yeah it's it's a big about face and it's a lot of people say that's the sentimental ending where that's uh the saddest fucking it's ending. but it's it's actually unbearably tragic because yeah. uh even as sort of time has continued to pass a- androids still haven't like they haven't learned to grow
0: in some the, respects, yeah. They're,
2: they're going to sort of stay in this sort of one emotional state. And yeah. uh, and I feel like there's also a tragic element to that as well.
0: Yeah, I think I, when, you, when you run into a movie and you think the ending doesn't work, sometimes it doesn't. I'm not going to pretend it doesn't. But when I see something in a movie and I'm not digging it, mm. my first thought isn't, well, this is just terrible and I get to write it off right now. My first thought is is there a way I can like this? Yeah. Uh, Am I missing something? Am I not looking at it from the wrong angle? Am I expecting something the movie never intended to mm. give me? Am I hoping for a message I'm not actually going to receive and I'm just not open to what the filmmaker is doing? And I think that's what happened to AI. I think a lot of people had it in their head. mm. This is where this should end. And they just shut off everything that happened afterwards. Um,
2: Frankly, I think it's a little rude. I, I think I prefer the ending to AI... To the ending to Pinocchio. Uh, okay. The ending of Pinocchio is, uh, like, the fairy appears, yeah. and uh, Pinocchio becomes a real boy. Yeah, at least that's Disney uh, version, the, the that. Disney version. Yeah, in the Disney version. in um, little pat, yeah. In Zemeckis' version, it could be argued that Pinocchio died, and he was walking yeah. Geppetto as, into as the, the after- afterlife. Yeah. As a
0: Geppetto in that version. You can make uh, that argument. Um <laughs> this one, <laughs> The movie doesn't really support it very well. Like, it's there, not, it there's, doesn't there's, really feel like it's that movie, does it?
2: There's a visual hint, but it doesn't make any sense why that would be the ending. It's to like, this why would this movie? movie end yeah. like
0: that? that doesn't, maybe the del Toro uh, version, but that has an even more depressing yeah, the, ending.
2: The idea of Pinocchio, uh, Pinocchio going out into the world, being hoodwinked constantly, uh, mm. you know, being transformed by his vices, literally, into yeah. a, into a donkey, uh, being swallowed like Jonah in a whale's belly, uh... At the ends, all of these trials ostensibly uh, mm. were enough to have him grow a conscience, become a little bit more human, learning things along his journey, and yeah, and becoming a real boy at the end. Right. Um, AI, I think, is the more satisfying version of this, mm. in that he doesn't become more human; he was already there. Yeah. The idea was he was already sort of more emotionally complete than the humans around him, mm-hmm. and in being indulged by. The events of the the last act of the movie uh, shows that he was already kind of like the next step in human evolution. He yeah. was already one step beyond. No,
0: I I, agree. I I honestly think AI. It, it, there's a there's a school of thought that I don't agree with. Mm. That um, yeah, when we say like, oh, what's that filmmaker's masterpiece? As if they can only have one. Here's a definition of a masterpiece: a work that demonstrates mastery. Mm. That's it. It's nothing about it being only one. You can make a whole bunch of masterpieces. You're telling me only you, one Stradivarius was
2: a masterpiece. You, you look, uh, yeah. you look up the word in dictionaries. You're, you might find it's like a singular work. Uh, yeah, you might. Some of those you might. But, but the thing but... is, a
0: lot of that—that's not necessarily the only definition, and it's not necessarily the originally intended definition. Spielberg is one of those filmmakers. He's got some duds. Oh, definitely. He's very prolific. He's made some movies that I think are genuinely bad films. However, he has made. Quite a few masterpieces <laughs> And I think that Some of them Are not the films That are always Declared masterpieces You and I have often Gone to bat for The Post I love The Post Which I think is actually One of his better films And I think AI Is another one mm. It's a little bit of a, It's a little messy
2: But it is of an incredibly powerful, interesting, smart, yeah, ambitious work. I think it's a, a fairy tale in the ty- of mm. a type that Spielberg wouldn't have previously made. Yeah. Uh, he, it's a, a mature look at, mm. I know it's like a wild science fiction story, but mm. in terms of its themes, I think it's a little bit more of a mature work yeah. than something like Hook, which yeah, is like... It, it's just a, just a weird a double feature f- with Hook if you yeah. think about
0: it. Like, just like, and they made within uh, 10 years of each other. Just yeah, look, watch so Hook weird. and then watch AI and you'll be like, wow, those are two... Peter Pan is often called a fairy tale as well. Yeah. Um, I, I left it off my list because whatever. But if you bluffed it on, that's fine. Uh, but yeah, no, it's just it's very different. So uh, what, what do you want to talk about next? Well, you just talked about um, really, a fa- we talked about a lot of like fairy tales that were like about like adults and adult issues. And you talked about mm. a fairy tale um, about kids. Yeah. And and kid- even though AI is very severe, it is a story more focused on children. And I have mm. I have one of those. Uh, and uh, this is... It's interesting because this actually is pretty far from my favorite film by this director. Okay. But it is the film that is definitely a fairy tale. And I think it is told unlike any other version of this particular fairy tale uh, that I have seen. It is Hayao Miyazaki's Panyo. Oh, okay. Which yeah. is, which is a, a Little Mermaid story. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a version of the Little Mermaid. It's a... its it's a rather bizarre version of the little mermaid in which uh uh there is kind of like a mad ichthyologist scientist living at the bottom of the sea who's like mm. in love with and definitely had like and definitely married and had kids with some kind of like fish god
2: and uh, mm. they they have a daughter and, and who's he's, like a fish with a human head and he's not human because he talks talks about like you can't eat human food to this yeah. this fish with a human but head but he also looks
0: human it's a yeah. little it's a little vague honestly a lot um. of the actual mythology at play here i got the impression that he was like a human who had moved to the sea. You know, was that old story, you know, a fish and a bird can fall in love, but where would they live? <laughs> uh, and it's just sort of like, so he moved under the sea, and he's built his own little mini Atlantis there. Uh, and he, yeah, he has a daughter who is part fish god. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's rebellious. Uh-huh. And she runs away. And she ends up on land in like a jar or something. And a little boy finds her and thinks she's great. And he loves having a fish pet. And she thinks he's great and she decides <laughs> that she's going to become human and hang out with him. And she does, except she's super duper weird. And every once in a while starts turning a little bit more monstrous when things get a little hectic. Um, it's a story about the little mermaid, but the little mermaid and the, the person, the, the, the prince, if you will, other uh, kids. Hmm. That's a very sweet idea. Hayao Miyazaki is a beautiful visual stylist. He's directed films like Princess Mononoke, Kiki's Delivery Service, uh, Spirit of the Away. <laughs> Spirited Away is my favorite. I, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of my neighbor Totoro and Kiki in particular. But Porco Rosso is magical as well. He does these incredible motion pictures. Panio is his most childlike story that he has brought to the screen. Mm-hmm. There are definitely a you know, themes and ideas that adults can pick up on, but it is much more, I think, catered towards little kids. Even the palette feels brighter. It's like a lot of of pinks and yellows. A lot of very punchy colors. colors. But just because it's for kids doesn't mean it isn't really intense. This movie has one of my favorite images in any movie, uh, where Ponyo is trying to make her way back onto land, and in order to do that, in the middle of like a hurricane that, it, that strikes this small town, a small island town, um, it builds into these giant tsunamis made of fish.
2: And she <laughs> is
0: running on the backs of the like, fish trying to get to this kid. Like the,
2: the waves keep turning back and forth from yeah. fish to water. It's
0: absolutely gobsmackingly stunningly beautiful
2: the uh the scenes I like in ponyo uh good pick, by the way Thank it's, you. Um, I, I didn't think of it so I feel bad about that no, 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 um no, no, no. there's really, what I'm here for really wonderful scenes where uh the the town has become flooded and everything's yeah. really underwater but it's like really crystal clear water oh, it's beautiful. so you can yeah. they're floating on the top of the water in boats but you can see all the way down to the streets below yeah and there's all this really exotic sea life kind of swimming around below them as the people are sort of gathering to find rescu- like it, it's it's kind rescue of rescue tra- people from this flood. It's a tragedy
0: because you know the entire village has been flooded, but at the same time, Hayao Miyazaki is kind of romanticizing in a bit of a way of like, look, the world of the water and the world of land have kind of come together. Yeah, and just like the characters have, and that creates a chaos. These two people are not supposed to be together. That's mm-hmm. just like nature, you know, magic has determined this but the only way to solve the problems is for those characters to come together which leads to a very weird ending in which basically the kids have to promise to get married when i'm like yeah, they're, they're, they're like they're like
2: five years old like yeah. that
0: part's really really weird and uh that's the one thing in the movie i'm just i not sure I don't, I don't really know what he was getting at there i think it's kind of calling attention to just Absurd fairy tales are, and how people <laughs> just get married over over nothing. But regardless, it's it's at the very least, it's about you know depth of connection, mm. and it's a very strange film. It doesn't play by the rules. It's distinct visually, even amongst Miyazaki's larger oeuvre. Take a drink, <laughs> um, and uh, and you know what? Even even the American dub is really really good. I think Liam Neeson is actually a very funny. Uh, as as uh, as Panio's dad, I think mm. is it. Uh, I think Tina Fey plays the mom, who's like the, the mom, like the she's like the most yeah. dangerous driver on the planet. Like I've never been, I've never been so terrified of, like of seeing like a family drive to school mm. because she's just. It's like she. It's like she slipped out of a Fast and Furious movie. Like she's just totally ah. <laughs> anyway, Ponyo. Ponyo gets. Uh, I, I think there's two kinds of people: people who really love Ponyo, mm. and uh, people who see it as maybe like lesser Miyazaki because it's so like childish. It's kind in of a lot it's of kind I've... of
2: light and yeah. un- uncomplicated. in, think in terms I, of his like yeah more complex mythologies can can get. I think I started out. I think when Ponyo came out, I was in a little bit more of
0: my like cool rebel phase, and like I think it was thought maybe it was a little cool for it. Uh, I'm not. I think it's really quite magical. Um, so um, yeah, mm-hmm. Banya. Uh if you yeah. if you if you thought of this as lesser Miyazaki, I encourage you to
2: give it another try. Okay. Yeah. Um, I realize I only have one uh, film on my entire list that uh, features a child. Oh yeah. Uh, most of most of them are fairy tales was with adult AI, characters. Uh, no, AI was this next one is another. One. I guess okay. AI is also so about a child. Yeah. Um, Robot child, but
0: yeah.
2: Little Otik is about a root monster that. Is a child. But it's more about the parents, really. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, there was there was AI, uh, but this one's actually about a human child who sort of enters into a fairy tale world, mm. uh, and whether or not that world is real depends on your read of the movie. It's mm. uh, Guillermo del Toro's *Pan's Labyrinth*. Oh, I
0: debated which,
2: on this. Uh, Oh, it's very much a fairy tale. It is, Uh, but it's
0: also... I don't know if it's specifically like a pre-existing fairy tale, but mm -hmm. I've often argued that Guillermo del Toro makes fairy tale movies Mm -hmm. that just happen to look like other movies. You know, he'll make a fairy tale movie that just happens to be a superhero movie. Okay. Like, he'll make a fairy tale movie that just happens to be scary mm. but mostly he does fairy tale stories yeah yeah, yeah. and just they're not always necessarily uh, based on a specific fairy tale
2: wh- one of my least favorite, favorite genres tends to be like the dark fairy tale where yeah. they take uh something that's really sort of familiar and then make it kind of horrifying yeah. that's so boring to what me what if the it's, gingerbread yeah.
0: man ate you yeah it's
2: it, it's, it's such yeah. an adolescent notion it's like sure. well, what if winnie the pooh killed somebody oh wait they made that movie yeah um, it can be done, but it's you're you're, you're running uphill. Yeah, uh, but I feel like uh, Guillermo del Toro actually had something to say. Um, yeah. I'm fond of Guillermo del Toro's movies when he works in Spanish, and he's mm-hmm. only made three movies in Spanish: um, uh, Devil's Backbone, Cronos, and Pan's Yeah, and I think those are his three best movies. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like The Shape of Water is pretty good. Uh, it's it's moving more than it's mm-hmm. great. I, I appreciate it. I think it's what's interesting to me is that's a very weird
0: movie by anyone at standards. Except Guillermo del Toro, and by Mm. Guillermo del Toro standards, it's weirdly like, like kind of weirdly mainstream in some regards. I think Um, I I, I've often argued that there are like two different Guillermo del Toros. Mm. There's like artsy fairytale horror Guillermo del Toro. And then there's blockbuster Guillermo del Toro uh-huh. and blockbuster Guillermo del Toro is a very different guy. Yeah. He just yeah. is into different well, kinds of action movies and he's into uh, horror movies or
2: historical dramas. My, my biggest issue with uh, Guillermo del Toro as a filmmaker, uh, and, and, and I like him. I'm not you know, dumping on the guy, but, uh, he tends to just sort of, uh, cycle through the genres that interest him. Mm. He makes genre exercises. Yeah. Uh, and in so doing, I get this the sense that he's not really sort of interested in telling his story. It's not sort of coming from within. He's not trying to make something really unique. He's just doing the Guillermo del Toro version of X. So he, want, yeah. he wants to do a Hammer movie, so he makes Crimson Peak. He wants mm-hmm. to do a Kaiju movie, so he makes Pacific Rim. Sure. Um, he wants to do a superhero movie. Hellboy is actually a little bit odd as superhero movies go. But yeah, yeah, especially
0: Hellboy 2. That's very strange. But point. I
2: feel like the, the movies he made in Spanish are his political movies. He actually has a lot on his mind. And he sure. actually has something to say in these movies. Yeah. Well, what
0: uh, can make the argument that Pinocchio has similar vibes? Well, I don't think it's as good. I,
2: I, I suppose. It's but certainly political. He, he put... Yeah, I mean, Franco's a character... Uh, excuse Mussolini's a character in that yeah. one. Um, I appreciate... I liked that part of it, but I feel like it, it didn't... Mm. It kind of meandered a long way to finally get there. I, I, can, I can complain about Pinocchio. But um, Pan's Labyrinth, I think, uh, is very much about fascism and the way fascism affects the imagination of children and the way war leaves scars on people. Mm. Um, it takes place in 1944. It takes place in Franco Spain. There's uh, uh, this young girl her mom is surviving the war by marrying, like, the world's most horrible general. And his job has been to sort of root out the woods in the area where they are and try to find, like, uh, insurgents and rebels who are sort of uh, living out there. And he's just sort of very brutal about it and very methodical. And in the middle of all of this, the young girl finds, like, fantasy creatures, like fairies, appearing to her and luring her out into the woods where she meets... A pan, she means a fawn. Yeah. Uh, big, gigantic, tall monster with big horns. And he says, I need you to... legs. Yeah. And he says, I need you to go on these fairy tale quests. I need you to go into a dangerous cave and fetch a key out of the belly of a frog. Or I need you to, mm-hmm. to go into this dangerous area where this demon exists. Don't eat anything on its table because it'll come to life and get you. Uh, and mm-hmm. these things are realized Pretty amazingly well. Oh, yeah. uh, the, the The demon at the dinner table. Oh, uh, it's one of it's I, one of the all time it's called great called The, movie the monsters. pale man, I yeah. think, is what they call it. Seriously, it's... one of the all time great movie monsters. That you know, the, with eyes and the palms of its oh, hands. Oh, it's so creepy. Uh, and you will note that the fairy tales are not light and fun. They're actually kind of horror oh. movie scenarios for this young girl, mm-hmm. and you can see how. Their how yeah, to
0: process. Yeah, if
2: we're to accept the fairy tales as in her imagination, you can see how the war effort has sort of marked her and changed even mm-hmm. her fantasies into something really bleak. On the we, up, yeah. we talked about this a little bit uh, when we reviewed the uh, Rene Clément film Forbidden Games just right. recently on another one of our podcasts. Um, if, however. The fairy tales are real. She's actually entering these sort of fantasy realms and is promised uh, a, a, a space on like a fairy tale throne mm-hmm. as a, a reward for all of her efforts. If that's
0: the case, then all of these parallels, just a coincidence.
2: Yeah. 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 So it's not really satisfying if, <laughs> if it's the happy ending, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> it's one of those movies where you can definitely at the end of it have a conversation. Did it Was it all real? Yeah. Was it all in her head? Was some of it real? Some of it in her head? Um, and you and I, it's funny how rarely you and I see eye to eye on those endings. Uh. We'll switch too. Where sometimes <laughs> you'll have the cynical ending and all the optimistic ending and yeah. vice versa. Um, Dan's Labyrinth is beautiful. Dan's yeah. Labyrinth, it really grew on me too. I think the first time I saw it, I admired it. And then every time I've seen it since, uh, I have grown to appreciate it more and more. And I think. It's not my favorite Del Toro movie, but I think it might mm. be the most Del Toro movie. I think it is. <laughs> Maybe so. I think it might be the apex of what he has accomplished no, in cinema right now, because there's a... I hate to compare it to this movie. Do uh, you remember Crazy Heart? Oh, I didn't, the, the Jeff oh, Bridges the movie? Jeff, yes, I did see Crazy Heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of those movies where it's like, it's pretty good, but mostly we remember it because it finally got Jeff Bridges an Oscar. Yeah. Um... There's a, there's a line in Crazy Heart where he plays like a country western singer uh, who's, you know, older alcoholic kind of at the end of his story. Mm. Uh, and he's trying to write one last great song and he's plunking it out and uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal's in it. And she says uh, uh, something about like, oh, that sounds familiar. And she, he's just like, it's new, but all the best new new songs sound familiar. Okay. <laughs> you know, it sounds like something you've heard before. And that's all something right. that I think Yama Del Toro achieves with Pan's Labyrinth, and that it is new. Mm. But it feels like something that should be right out of the folklore of our shared subconscious. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's very hard to pull off. Mm. I think even great filmmakers struggle at it. Yeah. And I well, think that's the time that Guillermo del Toro, I think, completely nailed it.
2: Uh, for sure. And uh, yeah. But I, I feel like uh, it's one of the few times when he actually ha- had something to say rather than just sort of noodling around with film style. Yeah. Um, and, I think uh, in terms of, like, his most adult feature, I think The Devil's Backbone is it, which is about sort of orphans and the war efforts. There's a a, a wonderful symbol in The the Devil's Backbone. A bomb is dropped on an orphanage, Mm. but it doesn't go off. Yeah. It stabs into the ground, and it's too big and too heavy for anybody to move, so they just, like, start hanging clotheslines on it. Just, like, part of the background now is this unexploded bomb. Uh, And, yeah, there's, like, some ghostly imagery in there. It's a haunting movie, but for the most part, it's about the lives of these kids and... What is the fate of a child in you know these sort of desperate times? Yeah,
0: Dante, you okay, buddy? You got strong yeah, opinions man. about Pan's Labyrinth? Making
2: a little noise over there. He
0: likes to trill. Oh. That's me. You okay, buddy? Right. and
2: that's, that's my so that's my last film that has like a, a child as a main character.
0: Yeah, I uh, do. I have any? Other, um,
2: yeah, I think it's the last one I have with a kid as a main character too.
0: Although my my next pick is another film from a director who's really well known for horror that does it centered around a child even though the child's not the protagonist Um, and it's another film where again it's not specifically based on a fairy tale but it very specifically calls out its fairy tale origins and I feel that it is uh, it it fits my criteria which again not necessarily the same as yours Uh, and it is a film from uh, a filmmaker who you know he didn't always make great movies but when he made good movies he made great movies okay Uh, I'm talking about Wes Craven okay and specifically Wes Craven's New Nightmare
2: Oh, okay. Uh, which, Wes Craven's New which, Nightmare, um, It kind of. It's it's a film commentary, but it's also Hansel and Gretel. It is. Or I guess Hansel and Gretel is like a, a, an important part of it. I would argue that Hansel and Gretel is an important part of it, and, and really any fairy
0: tale with a boogeyman in it, the big bad wolf, is mm. kind of a, an aspect of it as well. Uh, you know, what is Freddy Krueger's claws, if not just a big feral animal. Um, Wes Craven's New Nightmare is the seventh film of the Nightmare on Elm Street series, uh, Wes Craven's original movie. Uh, was about uh, teenagers who were being attacked by a monster in their sleep and if the monster killed them in their dreams they died in real life
2: yeah, uh, inspired by a, a true story that uh, yeah well it,
1: West you Graven, read, you read an article West
2: read, read an article about a, a child who uh, I guess a teenager who was afraid to go sleep afraid to go to sleep and was like doing everything he could to stay awake because uh, even like keeping coffee pots in his closet yeah uh, because he was convinced that if he had fallen asleep this thing would appear in his dream and kill him
0: yeah um you know he, he extrapolated on that and created this um very classic horror narrative about uh of uh, teenagers attacked by a boogeyman and what they discover is that the boogeyman is coming after them because their parents uh mm. killed him they thought he was a child murderer and it does seem as though they were correct although certain people have argued were they but it seems they were right uh, and and as revenge, he's going after the kids. The sins of the father, the the, the mm-hmm. punishment of the kid. I forget how the, the expression goes, uh, but it's bad. The, it's bad it's, when, you, when your parents of, sin. It's
2: bad. Sins of the father will be visited upon the child. Sure, that's I, I think it's the wording. Sure. Yeah. And uh, you know you know how much I hate visitors. Uh, the
0: first movie is great. The first movie is terrifying. The first movie is an all time classic. The sequels
2: mixed bag. Yeah, I mean, what I like about the, the mm. Nightmare on Elm Street sequels, even when they're bad, yeah. is they tend to be pretty imaginative, and there's yeah. a lot of cool special effects in them. Yeah. Um, a Nightmare on Elm Street 5 is, like, almost impossible to follow. It's
0: borderline. Inc- I've seen that movie multiple times. I couldn't tell you the plot of that movie if you put a gun to my head. Yeah, you
2: know, you, you know that there's a—one of the characters is pregnant, and the conceit is she's experiencing her unborn—like, her— Unborn, Unborn child's, child's dreams. dreams, yeah, or something like Freddy can't get to her brain, so he's going through the baby. It's but fucking weird. But the baby is also Freddy, but maybe Freddy is also. Waiting. The...
0: We're just gonna give uh. up on Nine Street Five, but Nine Street <laughs> Two uh, it got kind of a bum rap when it came out, but looking at it today, you realize it's actually a very uh, creepy movie about Freddy specifically going after one guy mm-hmm. who doesn't realize that in his subconscious that he's mm-hmm. gay. Yeah, and uh, it's 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 the, once, you re, once you once you once you once it's it's not subtle about it but a lot of people messed no, it, it it's, it's, it's 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 once you crack it it's like it's yeah. actually a really good horror movie it it's, just kind of yeah.
2: changes the idea of what Freddy Krueger is more than people liked yeah it it, it in fact when they started making the second one they started making it without Robert England uh, yeah. from what I understand they hired a stunt guy they didn't think that he was important to yeah, the just character some, you know, just, just some um, guy in, in scary makeup right do we really need Robert yeah, England well, yeah, th- yeah. think of like how many actors played Jason Voorhees they just sure. a, a lot of different actors like Kane Hodder played in, played the character I think the most mm-hmm. but he didn't start until like late in the series I mean Boris so. Karloff
0: didn't play Frankenstein most of the time mm-hmm.
2: most famously
0: he yeah. did uh, but a lot of other people did
2: there's a really excellent documentary on Shudder mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's called Scream Queen, uh, Scream Comma Queen, and it's about the lead actor from a Nightmare on Elm Street 2. It's all about a Nightmare on Elm Street part two. Yeah. Uh, and how He was t- an up
0: and coming actor. He'd been in like prominent yeah, and, plays
2: and uh, winning. And the the, the film movie, had like such such a overt, queer text yeah. uh, that that it, it kind of, it typecast, did, him. it typecast him and it didn't do very many favors for his career, it kind of outed him when he didn't really want to. Yeah, it wasn't a, um, it,
0: the, it wasn't a good time. Yeah. For, so, for so the
2: it, industry in that kind of regard years now. later, when people started coming around to the movie again, it ended up being a very positive experience for him, but at the time it wasn't. No, at the time it and, pretty much destroyed uh, his career. Yeah, And Jack Shoulders, the name of the director of nightmare yeah. two, uh, Claims very unapologetic he claims that he saw no queer text in the movie I don't know how uh, well he did that dude he's, he's a straight guy like I just directed yeah, it the way it was written on. and uh, and there's a, a pretty damning sequence in the documentary where the actor and the director are together and he
0: just wants the di- he just wants Jack Shoulder to admit to
2: admit that he did what he did and kind of apologize and Jack yeah. Shoulder do- doesn't Stone Coldman doesn't even yeah. really seem to understand what he what was going on there, no, and like he, what he had seen. No, it, I lost a lot of respect mm. for
0: Jet shoulder that day. But um, in any case, I quite like two. Mm. Three is a lot of fun. It's, a, but it's more of an
2: action movie from really, three
0: right? onward. There's, there's some scary stuff in three, and there's some scary stuff in four. But like from three onward, Freddy stops being this like malevolent entity in your dreams and starts becoming more like a supervillain. And then he starts becoming more of a funny supervillain over time Yeah. until finally we got to this weird point in like the late 80s, early 90s where he wasn't just the bad guy in horror movies. He was this pop culture icon and Mm. he would like, there would be like 800 numbers you could call to talk to Freddy (laughs) Krueger. He would go on talk shows, talk shows as Freddy Krueger, mm. child murdering demon. <laughs> Freddy Krueger. He would he went there was a talk show on Nickelodeon and I'm not 100% sure what it was. Maybe it was Kids Incorporated, maybe it was one of their other attempts to do that. This was a show for for children mm. and they had Freddy Krueger on it just yeah, to so, hang out.
2: So a lot yeah, so a lot of those sequels were very broad and cartoony. They're yeah. fun to watch, but they yeah. they're, they're a far cry from what yeah. You watch the original, and it's kind of strange to consider, like, how wild the series would eventually get. He did music videos with the Fat Boys, for God's yeah. sake. Are you ready for Freddy? We- I mean, it's a fun music video, but weird. Anyway,
0: the point is, when Wes Craven finally got back around, like, hey, what would- do you want to come back to the franchise? And he was like, you kind of ruined my creation. And then he decided to make a story about how Hollywood ruined his creation, and thinking about Freddy Krueger and indeed other horror stories in a larger context, looking at them in the tradition of scary stories dating as far back as fairy tales, and how we use scary stories. We use the big bad wolf. We mm. use oh the gosh. witch and handsome... I don't other... know what he's doing back there. He's he's the kitten and he's full of beans. This is a cat. Cat has the rips back there. Anyway. The idea is that we've been using scary stories not just to tell tales of horror, but to contain horror, mm-hmm. to control
2: horror, to keep horror confined,
0: and a, because a that way people, we can deal with it. Uh, well,
2: and a lot of people have, and Wes Craven was a philosophy major, so he you know likes to look at films in these mm-hmm. these sorts of terms. He tends to make but, very uh, intellectual horror movies. Uh, Dear God, Dante, <laughs> leaping about. Uh, so
0: excited! I don't. No, know and, and I've
2: heard a lot of people say that. Uh, Horror movies are a safe way to explore fear, aren't sure. they? Um, they're a great way. You, you know, confront the thing that gives you anxiety maybe. or someone anxiety, and you yeah. emerge unscathed on the other end. It's
0: like a roller coaster. Yeah,
2: like you're nobody. It's because it's fictional. Nobody's yeah. hurt, and for real. Uh, yeah. And even if that's something really simple, like you know being stabbed, mm-hmm. just put that in a movie, and that'll sort of allow you to have a little bit of fun with something you're actually afraid of the idea
0: theoretically and not every horror movie does this or is trying to do this but the idea is that horror can provide a form of catharsis yeah um wes craven was like how do i get that back and so his solution was to say that freddy krueger in the movies may have been watered down but freddy krueger as part of a larger horror tradition of great boogeymen was the latest in a long line of stories that was keeping evil at bay. The evil in Freddy Krueger got watered down so much that he is now more powerful than the movies as a concept and is able to break into the real world where he starts attacking uh, series star Heather Langenkamp, Mm. uh, John Saxon Saxon plays himself, Uh, Wes Craven plays himself, Robert Englund plays himself, Uh, and in a very wonderful twist on the original narrative, which was all about young people not knowing what their parents were keeping from them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He no. made Heather Camp a mother. I don't actually think she was at the time. No, I mean, she
2: wasn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah
0: the, the... Highly she... fictionalized Heather camp's mm. life. Uh, but she had a son in the movie, very little kid. And we realize, cause we're ahead of this, cause we know it's a movie. Uh, the kid is fighting off Freddy Krueger every night in his dreams. Hmm. He's got even got like a little like toy dinosaur that it, you can tell in his dreams is like his protector because when he wakes up, it's got like Freddy claw marks on it. Yeah. Which again, we got really screwed out of seeing Freddy versus a Tyrannosaurus. Which it wasn't been, that kind of movie. Uh, that, that's one of the sequels. Would have cool you know? if I if I had done like the comic book version, it would have been made at least on a splash page. But in any case, we see it now from the perspective of a parent, not knowing. What's wrong with their kids? It becomes more like the exorcist in a way. Mm. We see, like, I don't I didn't realize that what I had done, and I thought it was the right thing to do, make a horror movie, provide for my family, be a star, is having these weird negative consequences. It's rippling out. Uh, and yeah, we Freddy is confirmed in that movie to be the latest manifestation of an ancient entity that was contained within fairy tales and within horror. And now... There's no Freddy, or at least no Freddy that's genuinely frightening, and he is free to get into the real world. Uh, Back when you and I were writing for Blumhouse, Mm. the website, not the movie studio, was the same name, separate thing. Uh, I wrote an article where it was like, if Wes Craven's new nightmare is to be believed, it takes place in the real world, and Freddy is real. Without new Nightmare and Elm Street movies that are genuinely scary, Freddy either will escape into the real world or needs to be contained within another popular horror myth, something that actually scares people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I created a headcanon, it's basically fanfic, but I created a headcanon where the demon from Wes Craven's New Nightmare had leapt into Slenderman. Because that seemed which, like the yeah, Boogeyman du jour. At makes the time. sense, yeah. yeah um, it was like 10 years yeah, ago the, now. The, the,
2: yeah. the movie argues that, um, yeah, Freddy, uh, Freddy is this, like, this ancient evil entity that sort of uh, drifts from story to story. Yeah. And uh, it's... Even though it changes form, it's like the same constant evil. And uh, yeah, Wes Craven is the one who argues that uh, Freddy Krueger was once uh, in in its previous iteration the witch from Hansel and Gretel. Yeah, and, and like the yeah. conclusion of the movie really draws that parallel visually very clearly. Yeah, yeah. Right, right down right. to the
0: furnace, which is hey, mm-hmm. remember while Freddy was always like in the furnaces at the bottom of the of the school? Uh. Uh-huh. makes you think, right? <laughs> It's how the witch died uh, in that story. You know,
2: what, that, you know what? That's clever recontextualization. It is. <laughs> it probably Craven, wasn't
0: on his mind, but it's, Yeah, it's maybe. Wes Craven's
2: story, so he gets to do that.
0: Well, but, it either wasn't on his mind, and it's impressively subconscious, or was on his mind, and he's a genius.
2: Uh, Wes Craven has made some very good movies. He's made some stinkers as well. <laughs> yes. However, even his stinkers... Not for not, lack of ideas. Not for lack of yeah.
0: like, he, he didn't phone shit in. Like He tried. Mm-hmm. You know, like you you watch something where it's like I'm trying to think of like one of some of his crap. Like, uh, oh, what was that? A deadly, deadly blessing.
2: Deadly blessing. There was the yeah. one about like
0: evil, evil uh, like the evil Amish or evil Mennonites. Yeah, like, that yeah, does I not think... work. It
2: but full of ideas.
0: Mm.
2: Does not work.
1: There's a yeah, reason yeah, he, yeah. nobody talks about what, that one
2: of anymore. his last film, the his second to last film before he made Scream Four was called My Soul to Take, and that, it's another one about. Uh, the sins of the parents being visited upon the children, but yeah, he loved that it, it makes no sense whatsoever. Um, yeah, I'm glad that he kind of came back to A Nightmare on Elm Street in a really clever way. Mm. Uh, this sort of meta-narrative. And at the very end, when we finally see that uh, the story needs to be rewritten, we yeah. need to sort of find a way to make uh, Freddy scary again. And the characters kneel down and they pick up the script to the movie they're in. So the yeah. movie we've been watching this whole time is <laughs> is like a tool to capture Freddy, and I love that kind of stuff. I
0: normally it normally I find it very cloying when a movie ends with someone writing the movie we just watched. Uh-huh. Like, oh, and then I wrote a movie and ha ha. ha well, but or I wrote it all as a book and it's a bestseller.
2: They're not writing the, the movie of like the experience that she just had. She's like literally in the script she's holding.
0: I know, yeah, I know. Like, she, I, I think that's not like she
2: was inspired by it and wrote it down. No, no, my
0: point is this one gets away. With it, my point yeah. is this one manages to take something that I would normally find cloying and finds like a new wrinkle, a new way to handle it. Under really mm-hmm. so anyway, yeah, it's a it's basically arguing that the horror movies that we have now are modern fairy tales and are very directly linked to that tradition, or at least they can be. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a very great film. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your next pick?
2: Well, uh, yours is about. I actually have some linking material. Yours is about a fairy tale within a bigger story. And mine, too, is about a fairy tale within a bit of bigger story. Um, it's about a Hans Christian Andersen fable, mm. but it's also about the making of the Hans Christian Andersen Anderson fable. I'm talking about Paul and Pressburger's The Red Shoes. Oh, that's on uh, my list, too. Oh, it is. Yeah, great. great. Hey, okay. finally, yeah. some crossover. Uh, yeah, we were, so I
0: was like, oh, yeah. about to say, we got really far with, uh, with only just one. <laughs> um, yeah, The Red Shoes. And this is a movie I think we both saw for the very first time so very just recently. Just kind of
2: recently, we have a, a podcast called Only the Best. We talk about uh, the Oscar-nominated... Uh, the film was nominated for Best Picture at the uh, Academy Awards. Yeah, and we're going and... in chronological order, so mm. we recently got to the late 40s,
0: mm. and The Red Shoes was nominated. And this is a movie I had been told was one of the best movies ever made by a lot of people. Mm. And I just never got around to it. It was, I wasn't I was a movie I was introduced to by people I knew who were fans. It was just always, I oh, when to get around to it? Yeah. It's...
2: Amazing!
0: <laughs> it's such gorgeous yeah, cinema. It's uh, one of the
2: best-looking movies you'll yeah, ever yeah, see in your life. Jack Cardiff shot this film, and it is yeah. it, it is literally like in the top three best-shot films in cinema history. It's, it's just in terms it's of its color on, and its. It's, its got to be in the conversation, man. Um, it, it's about a, a ball ballerina, yeah. who joins a ballet troupe, and they're going to put on the Red Shoes, yeah, a, a ballet called the Red Shoes, yeah, which is a story about and a girl and, uh, who
0: wants to. Uh, Wants to go to a dance. uh, Gets herself Mm. some shoes. Doesn't realize that they're magic. The shoes dance for her. And And she she looks like an amazing dancer. But then they will never stop. And
2: she dances herself to death. Yeah. She's careful what you wish for. And that's that's a Hans Christian Anderson Anderson fable. Uh, But... Well, there's a, a ballet sequence in the middle of the movie it's that is just piece. that story, yeah. and it's great, because it tells the whole story yeah. just in dance, it's just a beautiful ballet. Gorgeous, uh, wonderful visual effects, but it's great. There's actually a heck of a lot of movie leading up to it, and yeah. that's how Victoria Page is sort of torn between two lovers, um, yeah. where she uh, what she's like dating... Uh, Who is it, like the musician, is it? There's a a composer at the beginning of the movie.
0: He's a young, idealistic composer. And uh, when he finds out that a superstar ballet producer, uh, that the composer he used ripped off his work. Yeah. The ballet producer goes, oh, that sucks. You want a job? And so he hires this guy. The guy falls in love with this very young, very aspiring, but very talented prima ballerina. Mm. And the producer hires her as well. Because he knows talent when he sees it. The producer falls in love with her, but his version of love is to keep her doing ballet. You don't want to get distracted by emotion. You don't want to get distracted by love. You Mm. don't want to quit and start to get a house and have kids. No, 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 no. You dance, and you dance forever. And that's what you want. And meanwhile, the composer... Is like, oh you dance, that's great. We can work together, but also let's just have a good relationship and be in love. Mm-hmm. And the producer's like, You can't have both. <laughs> and she's like, Well shit, I really like dancing. And so it boils down to it's it's simple narrative in many regards. Like it, it, it you can write it out real well, it, real plain, but n- it's very we're complicated in fairy tales. In its, fairy tales.
2: Yeah. it's well and and what I like is it's it's sort of like giving us the classic fairy tale and the modern version of the same fairy exactly, tale simultaneously. Yeah. Um you like to compare uh, Darren Aronofsky's Black Swan to uh, uh, an anime film called Perfect Blue. There's a lot of it's, parallels. Because it's very, very, it, very similar. It, there, 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 there's, there are similarities. Uh-huh. I, I don't think the, the... It's like a one-to-one, but... Uh, um... I'll
0: say this. When Satoshi Kon did, like... Uh, who directed Perfect Blue, mm. uh, he gave, like a, like, a symposium or a Q&A or something about his movie. And he was talking about a scene from Perfect Blue that Darren Aronofsky used shot for shot. In hmm. uh, um, Black Swan, and no, not Black Swan actually, he'd already done it in um, Reckon for a Dream, Reckon for a Dream. Yeah. <sighs> he was not happy, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, he was he was basically just like, Yeah, yeah, it was it's, it's really good when I did it, and yeah. now he's in first class and I'm flying coach on the exact same plane. <laughs> like, he told the story, like, it was wow. on the exact same plane. I, I don't know I, why that's okay, but right.
2: Kurosawa said, Yes, I, I, I very much liked. A Fistful of Dollars. It was a very good movie. It was my movie. Yeah. Got <laughs> kind of ripped off as... Uh... I,
0: I think it's less the case of Requiem, which definitely, like, rips off a whole scene, but that's not the most uncommon thing in Hollywood. I look at Black Swan. It's an excellent movie. It's also Perfect Blue. Well, it's,
2: it's Perfect it's very... Blue. But it's it's perfect in bloom. a different
0: art form but it's, it's
2: lesbian it's, perfect blue by way of the red shoes with like some other perfect nightmare already in it overtones uh, it's not subtle though <laughs> black Swan, it's over black Swan, the women actually have sex on camera i understand so, uh, that but uh okay but i think uh darren aronofsky is taking a heck of a lot from the red shoes this idea oh, yeah. of devoting yourself to a ballet to the point of madness. Yeah. And, uh, there's, yeah, some, uh, parallels between, um, Victoria page mm-hmm. and, uh, what happened to the character she plays uh, and how mm-hmm. she, she is actually in danger of in a way, dancing herself to death. Exactly. Um, it's difficult to talk about this movie just because the story, like you said, is it's so very simple, very straightforward. And you it's, can, you know, can
0: summarize it in a paragraph and get the whole
2: gist. But it's all about it's, it's about it's, it's about the
0: presentation. For one thing, it, it it's feels, about how yeah, fucking very, amazingly
2: classical. Yeah, and classical magical is the word feels. I was going to use. It, it yeah. feels uh, not just in terms of like an old story. It's just yeah. like really well mannered filmmaking.
1: Yeah,
2: <laughs> and uh, I, I think it does give you sort of the importance of the fable as it under. Oh, the, you know, the actual fairy tale as it plays out. Yeah. And the importance of the actual human drama. And I think it nails both of those things perfectly. Mm. All while set in this hyper-saturated, gorgeous universe. Yeah.
0: It's, oh, it's I love The Red <laughs> Shoes. I love it too. It's, it's a movie that I'm mad I didn't grow up with. Yeah. Because really? I, I would have. I would have watched this thing over...
1: And over again, if I was
0: because well, I I would do that. I would watch these these movies that felt like they transported me into a place, even if it was a terrible place. Like I would watch the most dangerous game over and over again, just because the idea of this horrifying island where you know super villain millionaires hunt people for sport in like dilapidated castles just mm-hmm. I'm there. Like, sure. <laughs> but like the Red Shoes would have been absolutely my jam as a kid. Um there's a there's a gag in um what is it? I think I think it's a gag in chorus line where all of the dancers basically just say, So why'd you start dancing? Red shoes, red shoes. <laughs> 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 saw the red shoes at too early an yeah, age Yeah, saw the red shoes. That's that's what you do. <laughs> um, you hear well, that
2: from like horror filmmakers. Yeah. Oh, what what got you interested in horror poltergeist? <laughs> I don't
0: know, oh, poltergeist the Toby Hoover. Yeah. Well just there there's like they, there's, there's one a...
2: that they saw at too early yeah, an age Exactly,
0: and... yeah. Um, Poltergeist is a good one Because it was shown to kids At way too early an age Because it it's tech- rated PG It's rated PG A guy rips off his own face In that movie mm. Anyway uh, we, we I had the same one you did So let's go right. right back around You have three All left right. I have two I, left uh,
2: Okay I have three left um, I'll, Let's see I, I'll, I'll leave I'll get, go with my most depressing one Okay <laughs> and, uh, Because I have a Bergman film On my list Of course um, you do if there was an, If there was an opportunity Look You would have done it If if they ever start giving out Nobel prizes for cinema, I would say give one to Bergman first. Bergman's the master. Do they... Do, yeah. Uh, is is Bergman perfect? He's got some sexist ideas. Yeah. Uh, but Back to his time. the way he deals with sex, humanity, death, and philosophy, and religion, particularly, yeah. are always going to be pretty exhilarating. And I think *The Virgin Spring*. Uh, is one of his more interesting uh, religious treatises. Mm. Funnily enough, which, I've, I've never seen he... this. I've only seen the Wes Craven remake. Yeah, Wes Craven remade it as The Last House on the Left in the 70s, and The Last House on the Left itself was remade. Um, yeah, and uh, the, the, the Last House on the Left is one of the most
0: brutal horror movies you'll ever see. Yeah. At and, least, I, I sp- yeah, it's... Uh, well... Oof. And, and it's it's not it's not a good time. No, well, if, you try to, neither, if you go on a date, it will ruin your day.
2: And neither is neither is *The Virgin Spring*. Yeah. Um, it's based on like a 13th century uh, Swedish folktale, and I think what Bergman is trying to do is take sort of the trappings of this folktale, which is a, kind of a revenge story, and turn it into a treatise on essentially the usefulness of Christian philosophy. Mm. And how it might not always work out. Sometimes
0: um, it's not practical.
2: Yeah. And, or you've found yourself in such a unique scenario. Yeah. Christianity. That was, gen- the Bible, Bible just doesn't mention, the Bible yeah. just
0: doesn't give you that context.
2: Right. Yeah. So, uh, it's about, a, a, a placid Swedish family living out in the countryside in 13th mm-hmm. century Sweden. And nothing and, can and, possibly uh, and, go and wrong. And Max, Max von Sydow is, is a, a clergyman. And he, uh, has he sort of lives with his family? Yeah, just in complete another piece, and we've figured things out. Christianity is our way. Uh, it's worth noting that uh, Ingmar Bergman was deeply ambivalent about Christianity <laughs> and his uh, a- abusive clergyman father, uh, which is something he wrestled with throughout his entire career. Yeah, uh, they have a teenage daughter who, uh, you know, very, very, very innocent and very placid, almost uh, cartoonishly so. Yeah. Uh, wanders out into the countryside, comes upon two ruffians, and she is violently assaulted and murdered uh, by these two ruffians. Yeah, uh, they don't—they don't give a damn about human life. They just—they're yeah, monsters. They, they see, see this person as somebody to use, and yeah, they're complete monsters. Uh, and we stay with them. They need to play. They're also hungry, and they need a place to sleep for the night. And they go back to the father's house, and he is. Willing to take them in because he's open that way. Strangers, come on in, enjoy the fire. Warm warm yourself by the fire and we'll give you a meal. And it was through little bits of evidence and some things that were said in conversation that he begins to piece together what happened to his daughter. Yeah, And that's terrifying. Once he finds, yeah, the whole sequence where he's kind of like slowly figuring it out. It's a big portion of the movie. It's like, oh crap. And he starts to get go through this existential crisis. I've just lo- like, what, what happened here and what do I do now? Yeah. Now his philosophy says, shouldn't I like help these guys? Forgive for, Maybe the, forgive them for the, 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 this, this crime they committed. Yeah. And you know, especially safely. when, especially when they're confronted and they like, it's like, no, we, we don't feel good about that. It's just, we're horrible people. And, does it become a revenge movie or does it become a forgiveness movie and neither of those things is satisfying uh i'll i'll just say that it does go to some pretty brutal places and um the title the virgin spring uh kind of adds a little bit of a supernatural element to it mm-hmm. because where uh, where the young woman was murdered a spring according to the old ballad sort of a spring of water comes Bubbles up yeah um I think what Ingmar Bergman is doing with a movie like The Virgin Spring is interrogating a lot of the underlying messages of fairy tales and fables and these old ballads where we see them as tales but he is trying to take it into like a very modern context. Virgin Spring was made in 1960. Yeah. And he is trying to bring modern Swedish ideas into this old fable which is supposed to be about sort of uh, you know like a religious treatise and he's saying, well, in a little bit more of a modern context, we'd more be more concerned with the ambivalence of it, and yeah. uh, and actually start to consider that maybe revenge is a moral thing, even though uh, Christian doctrine says no. Well, yeah, we we approach older stories mm. with modern angles, yeah. that's, and that's very very
0: natural. Yeah, when, and, yeah.
2: uh, I feel like when Wes Craven got a hold of it, he actually did did the story a, a good service. It said mm. in the modern day. Yeah. And it, it has that almost, a, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre grit to it. Like, it looks yeah. really washed out and kind of he wanted it.
0: He said he wanted it to have the aesthetic of, like, the you-are-there, like, news photography coming out of, like, Vietnam. Yeah. And, with the and, soldiers experiencing And, and he succeeded and Yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, that movie is, it's an exploitation movie, so yes. it kind of focuses on the violence a lot more. Yeah, there's uh, also
0: this weird bit in a lot of the movies. You know, like, a lot of horror movies, there's, like, a couple of characters, one or two characters who are... Not in the action, but they're approaching the action, and you think to yourselves, oh, if that guy can only get to the hotel in The Shining, Hmm. everything will be fine, and then everything is not fine. Um, Last House on the Left has that with two comic relief sheriffs who have wacky music playing over everything yeah, that, that, that they that, do. That
2: part's a little odd, but they do it, get involved in the story by the end. They do,
0: uh, they do. And they, it is obviously a point that, yeah. you know, the people... The law's re- ineffectual. The yeah. law's ineffectual, that we cannot rely on that for morality or even mm-hmm. anything, really. And right. it's, it's mocking that sense of law and order. Uh it overplays its hand a lot and the, mm. the, the counterpoint comes across as a little insulting, but fortunately little, it's not uh, a lot g- of the given, movie. Yeah, given
2: the brutality of the yeah. violence, yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I feel what Wes Craven did was do essentially the grindhouse version of The Virgin Spring. Sure. And I think he kept a lot of the, even though it, it's clearly trying to wring a lot of thrills out of the violence, it's not It's not a fun movie a lot. It's yeah. just not fun violence. And I think he is at least addressing that same kind of moral mm. That Ingmar Bergman was interested and, in.
0: And it's cool because that film started like a whole wave of uh, grindhouse exploitation horror movie remakes of Ingmar Bergman. Hmm. Uh, you know, uh, Larry Cohen's Cue the Winged Serpent is, of course, uh, you know, it's a roundabout remake of Cries and Whispers.
2: <laughs> you don't know what you're talking I about. I have no idea. <laughs>
0: idea. I was waiting for you to stop me. I was waiting well, to I, see how far can you, I get into this. You
2: you could have had something there <laughs> I that I just know. didn't know about. Cue no. the Winged Serpent, by the way, is not based on Cries and Whispers. There's a lot of crying in it. There's a lot of screaming. It's there's Q a lot of crying out. They're, ah, that's Winged Serpent.
0: Great movie, by the way. Like Legitimately great movie. Michael Moriarty, Oscar-worthy in
2: that movie. Uh, it, it, it would make a good double feature with Don't Look Up, because they, they, have, they have like really similar themes. <laughs> Because uh, this big monster is attacking the city and the mayor's response is, oh, just don't look at it. Well, yeah, that's the whole thing. It's like, it just keeps, like, people
0: are, like, sunbathing on the roofs of, like, skyscrapers in New York City and then mm-hmm. just, just, like... This it,
2: big winged serpent keeps, just like, swoops by in and that. now they don't have a head. <laughs> it's so great. I love that movie to be. It's absurd. Anyway. Um, I had to segue out I'm, of I'm tra- that somehow. I'm trying to think of, like, what's... <laughs> I had to segue uh, out of Spurgeon uh, Spring somehow. Is there, like... Are there other, like horror remakes of Birdman I feel like Can't there's really gotta been the some horror movies head. that have got some influence from Persona maybe you yeah know, the I fusion guess. of
0: of, yeah. of personality um, but um, yeah I don't know honestly mm-hmm. that's a thought I hadn't I, I, had, I was putting that together as a lark but there might actually be something to that we gotta look into that right. um, anyway I have two films left one film on my list is one of those movies where you know if you put to, if you ask someone to put together a list of the greatest fairy tale movies of ever time this movie's probably on it. Mm. Uh, but it is because it's a great movie. And another movie is a movie that I know very few people who have heard of, let alone seen. Mm. And I was debating which one is going to be my number one, and I've made my choice. Uh, my second to last pick, not necessarily my number two, but my second to last pick, is a film that it's one of those classic movies that i feel like everyone everyone gets to see because it's very accessible even though it is you know from the 40s even mm-hmm. though it is in french uh, and it is, of course, La Belle and La Bête. Okay, um, this Beauty is also Beast. on
2: my list, and it's my number one. It's your so number one. I'm, I'm glad we waited until the end to yeah. claim my number one. I, th- I thought it might uh, be your
0: number one, so I was waiting as
2: long as I yeah, could. Yeah, Jean Cocteau's La Belle and La Bête is. It, I mean, it's not just one of the best fairy tale movies; it's one of the best movies. It really is. It's an uh, excellent
0: motion picture. It know. is absolutely stunning and gorgeous. It has reframed our entire perception of how that story goes. By the way, yeah. And yeah. when you look at Disney's excellent animated movie and really shitty live action remake make um
2: <laughs> don't, yeah don't don't see that, the, that like 2017
0: remake, or whatever woof, that one was that movie is just there's no reason to exist it adds nothing new of consequence and everything it does add just makes the story worse it's astounding um but that animated movie is excellent and that animated movie is um very specifically a remake of this early french version yeah yeah uh, it Takes a lot of ideas the, that kind uh, of only the idea of a character like gaston comes from this movie
2: it wasn't uh, a thing. Yeah, which, is, which is also played by Jean Marais, who yeah. uh, also played the Beast. Yeah. Um, he, he plays two characters. It's not that the Beast transforms. He actually yeah. plays, like, the
0: villain as well. Yeah. Uh, There's a thematic tie there. There's yeah. something to be said there, but it's it's not supposed to be. Ha ha, was the Beast the whole time.
2: Well, also, Jean Cocteau was dating Jean Marais at the time, so... <laughs> Fine, uh, you get to play two characters. Yeah. So Jean, Jean Marais. Uh, yeah. Jean, Jean Moreau and Jean Marais. Yeah. A little confusing. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, the idea that the castle where the beast lives is kind of a living entity. Yeah, is something that they kind of turned into a cutesy version for yeah. uh, the nineteen ninety one film. This, there's
0: this very eerie hallway where it's full of, it's only lit by candelabras, mm-hmm. but instead of like, you know, a metal sconce, a, a yeah. metal sconce, uh, you know, sticking out, and there's like a torch in there, literally human arms sticking mm-hmm. out, and if you grab one, it'll like move it's yeah. a hand it's alive and, uh, and disney was like what if it was cute what if we did that okay well i guess we could try that
2: i, I love jean cocteau as a filmmaker i've seen sure. a bunch of his movies uh, i haven't he,
0: seen enough but every one i've seen is amazing yeah.
2: you've seen orpheus right yeah. okay have you seen blood of a poet or blood of a poet no I okay, seen blood that, of poet. uh criterion put out this really wonderful box set called his orphic trilogy yeah. which uh, all thematically connected not directly where um it was Blood of a Poet, it was Orpheus, and it was Testament of Orpheus, which he made like throughout his career from like, I think it was like 30, 49, and like 65 or something, okay. like spread out. Um, uh, he's, he's always been like a surrealist. He's interested in dream imagery. Uh, he does really odd special effects that were really experimental in the 1930s and still look great to this day. This idea of somebody like looking into a mirror and then falling into it because it was actually like, Forced perspective on a pool of water. Yeah, and so the mirror really cool. Stuff, shimmers. Yeah, really cool. And very like convincing
0: that. too. Like mm-hmm. he pulls it off. Takes a lot of patience Man. to get the. Uh, got that just right he's
2: telling the beauty and the beast story but he's not interested in like a placid fable quality he wants no. the he wants you to feel like you're entering entering into a dream space which the so, beast
0: castle really would be mm-hmm. you're going about your whole life everything is very real and all of a sudden here's a magic castle with the monster in it and the monster says if you don't like marry him and live with
2: him forever mm-hmm. he'll kill your dad like, well, and, okay, that's fucked up. The, the premise of the story is actually very, very odd, and has that kind of dreamlike quality. Like, I, I was lost in the woods. You're already in your nightmare, right? Sure. And I found a rose garden, this nightmare rose garden. I thought, oh, I can get a rose for my, for my daughter. But I took one, and then, um, then the dream monster appeared, this yeah. beast, and said, uh, okay send your daughter to me yeah you're, you're to, not yeah. allowed to
0: take a rose in exchange yeah, like, for plucking a rose i had get to take your daughter <laughs> this idea wow that, okay yeah. there's something to. okay there's a there's, no, that's, uh, that's an
2: allegory oh my god it it kind of galls me that disney took the rose and turned it into like the ticking clock element. is like this magical yeah, thing. If the rose loses
0: all its petals. The beast will be the beast forever. And I think everyone in the audience like is like, about, we prefer him like this. How about there? no one ever, yeah. no one ever fantasizes about the blonde version of the beast at the end of beauty mm. and the beast. We, we want the monster version because he's
2: awesome. I like they, they kind of spoofed that in uh, a, a movie I don't like that much called, but uh, Shrek. Uh, oh yeah. Where at the very end it's like, oh no, you're going to, you have to turn into your true self and she's like, starts out as an ogre yeah. and when she turns into her true self she does like all of those movements and there's light and we see like the, yeah. her hand transform in her face but she's actually not transforming. She's just staying an ogre. <laughs> yeah. It's like, like all, all of the shots are the same but she's not transforming so yeah, I thought that was great. really cute. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, in, what Jean Cocteau was doing was taking, a, like, putting that dream quality back into the fairy tale. Mm-hmm. These roses are valuable. Are they magic? No, they're valuable yeah. to me as a monster. I care when, about this beautiful yeah.
0: thing because I am not beautiful.
2: It's, and when, yeah, when yeah. I kill, smoke comes from my claws. That's a really eerie effect yeah, as well. It's great. That makeup must have been painful. Oh yeah,
0: Yeah. black and white. I'm sure helps, but like, it still looks really good today. Like, it's a very impressive looking production. Um, Again, the designs are very imaginative. A lot of just there's this bit where like her father is sick and she wants to go back to him and she's able to go back to his bedside and she starts crying and her tears are suddenly diamonds. And, like, those diamonds can be used to save the family. And I was like, what does that even mean? I don't even fucking know anymore.
2: I just know it's uh, great. Excuse me. I, I, I messed up the names. It's Josette Day. Plays Belle. Uh oh. I, I said the wrong name. jean Moray Mar- does play the beast.
0: Okay. Um, all right. I'm glad you caught that. No, I don't have to yeah, jo- Jose, apologize Jose later. Josette
2: Day. I apologize for that. Right, anyway, if you can of...
0: stop emailing us. You can stop emailing us. Thank but they But there's still rhyme, you know? <laughs> okay. Um. Anyway, um, if you've never seen this version... Mm-hmm. Uh, Stop what you're doing and go see this version of Beauty and the Beast. This is the best version of Beauty and the Beast. It doesn't have the Disney songs. Those songs are all bangers. I'm not complaining Although, about um, the songs.
2: There's there's no songs in Jean Cocteau's version, mm-hmm. but in the '90s, Philip Glass uh, wrote an alternate soundtrack for they the movie. Really? I where neither. it's uh, and you can get this on the the Criterion oh, uh, blu I, I
0: never listened to that track. Okay.
2: Uh, but yeah, you can turn on a track, and he wrote a an opera that's supposed to be played alongside the movie. So the singing plays along where the dialogue would ordinarily be. So he essentially turned it into an opera. That's
0: interesting. Is it good?
2: It's well, the movie's so heightened in this weird Mm -hmm. reality anyway, it's really conducive to opera, which is also this heightened art form. Um, Hmm. It feels a little odd because I've, I've only seen a few operas. I know it's not sort of a a hip art form anymore. You don't see people flocking to the opera so much. Uh, It's also considered very classist, you know, but, um, Mm. Uh, it was odd because the movie's like an hour and forty minutes; it's movie length. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, ninety-three minutes—not even that long. And uh, I'm not used to seeing operas get it done so quick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Operas are usually pretty, pretty large. All right, uh, you have—I uh, you, I stole your number one spot. No, Sorry about that. But you still you know, one more it's fine. I got to, to talk, talk about. I, I got to talk about Beauty and the Beast, and you know it doesn't matter when I got to. It's a great movie. It's just it—it's one of the greats. Uh, you can buy it from Criterion Sight Unseen and just have a classic you're, in your collection. It's it's a very
0: um, safe buy to yeah, get the movie. You, know, you will love it. Yeah. Um, and again, was, even kids, I think, will love it. I saw it when I was very young, Yeah, it's, and it played, like, gangbusters. It's, it's a
2: little scary, but it's easy to follow. It's yeah. the, sa- the same old fable. It, it ends a little strangely, but the whole movie's kind of strange. Yeah. So, you know, I think it, it does it fine. But my, my next-to-last pick, the yeah. one I was going to mention before, Beauty and the Beast... Uh, it's a bit of a cliche, but it is a fun one. Okay. It, it's it's another sort of modern riff on a fairy tale, more than oh, it is a fairy say tale. It's beastly. It's not beastly. Oh, never mind. It's the Princess Bride by Rob Reiner. Um, oh, it's
0: I know a great it's moment. it's kind
2: of a gimme. Uh, it's, it's, it's it's also
0: not based specifically on a fairy tale, so I let it go. Like yeah, I, I didn't yeah, really. It's, really it's based it. on a
2: novel by William Goldman uh, yeah. who. Uh, uh, he wrote, uh, he, wrote he wrote Marathon wrote Man, which yeah. and
0: Sundance Kid, All the President's Men. He's misery. He's one of the best screenwriters we've ever had.
2: Yeah, and, uh, and he wrote the book uh, yeah. that The Princess Bride is based on. And what I love about The Princess Bride is it tells that sort of comedic fable yeah. about a, a princess in a faraway land who falls in love with a farm boy, but then she is whisked away by the king and is forced to marry the king of the land and she misses her true love who's this farm boy but then she's kidnapped by a pirate (laughs) and you know on on the eve of her wedding and has to sort of figure out how to escape this pirate and then the true identity of the pirate is revealed it was her farm boy the whole time ran off and became a pirate Mm -hmm. Uh, that's not a big reveal that happens like a third of the way through and also
0: and and when you're watching the movie It's very obvious. It's very clear who's playing the yeah, character.
2: Carrie yeah. Elwes plays uh, the character. Yeah. And Carrie Elwes is yeah. ch- charming as fuck. I,
0: at the time when the movie came out, Carrie Elwes probably wasn't as much of, like, wasn't as well-known. Well, this was the
2: thing that kind of put him on the map. Yeah,
0: he'd been in other movies, but, like, you know, you might maybe have not mm. seen it coming... But after this and the Robin Hood, Men in Tights, mm. and all the other stuff he'd been in... Probably best known for Saw these days, but yeah. Probably better known for Saw, but I think Robin Hood, Men in Tights, and Princess Bride are both, you know, kind of all-timers. Mm. Um, the bad guy in Twister.
2: That's right, it was the bad yeah. guy in Twister. But yeah, uh, the... He, he uh, was the other man in Liar Liar. That he was, was, he a, was, in a, he was... You're a lot scared of, it. of the claw, yeah. aren't you? <laughs> ah. <laughs> Ooh. He he, play, he plays a dork very well. He's so good. I, I love.
0: I think he's a great actor. I actually mm. really like Carlos a lot. Um, and he was born to play this kind of romantic hero. Yeah, he is well, dashing. He especially is especially funny. Like, he's like
2: 22 years old, and he's he's dude. He's, he's
0: handsome as hell. Yeah, as he's heck. romantic. He's hilarious. He's incredibly convincing in a fight. Mm. Uh, and yeah, so he he runs off. And Buttercup thinks he's dead, and now she is going to marry a prince, played by uh, the great Chris Sarandon. Chris Sarandon, yeah. Uh, But uh, she gets kidnapped by a trio of ruffians, uh, played by Wallace Shawn, Mandy Patinkin, and wrestling legend Andre the Giant.
2: (laughs) Which... You wouldn't think those three go well together. They're
0: perfect together.
2: It's amazing, and the, like I, like a lot of people, this was my first exposure to Wallace Shawn. Yeah, uh, he's, so he's
0: iconic. In this I, movie. I
2: was I was really kind of astonished to learn that he's like old world Broadway royalty. Yeah, he's he's like an he's acclaimed like playwright, play, like, playwright and actor, and he's like really interested in like Ibsen and shit. Yeah, uh, he and yeah, so yeah. This movie came out in 1987 when I was a kid. I would have yeah. been too young to see My Dinner with Andre in oh, 1991. Sure, yeah, same, yeah. So it wasn't until years later that it's like, oh, wait, he's actually like a really interesting, dynamic actor. I only know him, knew him as yeah. like the funny little guy from yeah. The Princess Bride. But uh, yeah, so so the the those
0: those bad guys are ended up being chased by this evil, seemingly evil pirate who takes them down one by one in an epic sword fight, really one of the best sword fights mm. in movies. Uh, an epic fight with a giant, and then an incredible battle of wits with Wallace mm. Shawn. and then, haha, I was Wesley all along, mm. and we're gonna have to like fight rodents of unusual size and like yeah. dig, f- fight it's our a, way out of quicksand and it's so
2: fucking amazing it, it's there's a lot of comedians in this movie yeah hard uh, hard christopher guest is in the movie is sort of like the, the, main, of the main bad guys. one of the main bad guys and he's actually really chilling yeah. um mel smith uh yeah. he plays uh, a torturer a, yeah this like albino torturer and there was another one it's like oh Okay, I know him from the Princess Bride. Yeah. Oh, wait, he has this like hugely long career as a comedian in England. Yeah, uh, and uh, then of course Billy Crystal shows up. Billy Crystal, <laughs> and Carol wizard. Kane, as yes, yeah, the, like, the 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 old wizards. Um, so it's it's all very light and very frothy. There's a lot of anachronisms and modern talk. Yeah, uh, but what really sells the movie is is the bookend material. Yeah. Um, that's what that's what takes it from being an entertaining adventure mm-hmm. to being
0: something legitimately great.
2: Yeah, uh, because it's it's about a young boy in bed, uh, played by Fred Savage. Mm-hmm. He's uh, sick, and uh, he's sick in bed. Yeah. Uh, Fred Savage was a, a notable child actor. He's uh, gone on to be this like superstar producer. Yeah, uh, he has become so well associated with the Princess Bride they recreated the set and had him act scenes out again as an adult in Deadpool 2. Yeah, there's, or, an, alternate, or ra- or rather there's an alternate cut the alternate of Deadpool. cut. It was called Once Upon a Deadpool. But yeah. Uh, uh yeah. So Fred Savage is sick in bed, he's home from school, and his grandfather, played by Peter Falk, uh, comes by and says, I'm just gonna read you a book.
0: Just to, read to pa- past, past the day, I,
2: yeah. I read it to your dad, and so on and so forth. And Luca, yeah. I, if to, you're gonna
0: nip my hand, I'm gonna be forced to give you treats. And okay, I'm gonna give you treats
2: thro- throughout the movie. <laughs> when so when Peter Falk is reading the story, uh, they'll stop occasionally so the kid can comment on it. Yeah. And how he's kind of not convinced with the magic. Now, that's very, like, sort of modern, cynical storytelling, and it's funny. I think it's comedic. Well, we, uh, but...
0: When we first see him, what's he doing? He's not reading, he's playing video He's playing games. video
2: games. He's so it, He's not it,
0: invested in the narratives. Well,
2: he, and he's certainly not invested in the story, but then he kind of is after a while. And you can see that... Uh, he he starts making requests. He asks his grandfather to like skip over the romance stuff because it's mushy and he doesn't like it. Yeah. Does, can, do you have to read the kissing scenes? And of course, Peter Falk says, "You know, someday you might not mind so much." I love that. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a bit where uh, Peter Falk loses his, his place and he goes back and reads a, a, a same passage a second time. And a uh, Fred Savage gets mad. It's like, no, you, you pass that part. It's like, oh yeah, let's and they, like fast forward through the movie. It's a little little meta narrative twist. But what's going on here? Right is a modern version of oral tradition. Yeah. It's a, a older generation passing a story to a younger generation. And it's going to change a little bit with each reading. Yeah. Uh, and I got to say, that element is what made the Quibi version so brilliant. Yeah. Uh, Quibi put out home movie, The Princess Bride, where uh, every, this was during lockdowns. Uh, everybody's at home. Uh, actors are hurt, hurting for work. They want to do something, but they yeah. can't leave the house. So, uh, they said, they said, said, why don't you film yourself in your home doing this one particular scene? Yeah. We will take each
0: actor or group of actors, whoever is quarantining together, and we'll give you one scene in the princess bride and we'll release however you like in your house. And we'll release them scene by scene. And yeah. And it turns out that like, um, everyone is like, like Sam Rockwell and Leslie Bibb who are in married or living together or both, Mm I guess. Uh, uh, just acted it out. Why not? Yeah. Whatever, you know. Uh, let's, uh, let's just bring it all
2: together. Occasionally, people would act like alongside cardboard cutouts of the actual actors from the original movie. Yeah. Um, uh, occasionally, they'd just be sort of like in a public park or in their backyard. Tom Lennon put on his outfit from Reno 911 for some reason. <laughs> Who would he play? Uh, he was playing uh, the Chris Arandon role. Oh, okay, I guess yeah. that, that kind of works. <laughs> uh, they got Jason Segel, and he, uh, Jason Segel just tried to do, uh, and he does a pretty spot-on art, they Giant trying to impersonation. Oh, cool. Some people tried to do it the way the actors did in the original movie, some tried to bring a new spin to it. Uh, one actor will leave, and another actor will enter, the settings change. It's If you don't know the movie, it's impossible to follow.
0: Yeah, it's gotta be real weird, I mean. Uh,
2: and, but, you know, you'll just be astonished by this constant deluge of stars. Just like There's like a hundred different like recognizable actors in it. But what we're seeing is that oral tradition. Yeah. This is now passed on to everybody and they all have their kind of their own yeah. interpretation. And Quibi, by putting it on a phone while everybody's kind of at home, yeah. is it, sort of like saying the stories still exist. We're still sort of passing these things on mm. through this modern technology. Now they're just being disseminated in this new kind of a yeah. way. But I think it, it also... Still...
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, well, and, and also I wanted to, to address the way uh, the Quibi version began and ended. Uh, yes. In the original... Uh, I think they did, Fred, Fred Savage was in bed again, he was reprising yeah. his role, and then Adam Sandler came in and was the grandpa. Okay. And he starts out doing the Peter Falk thing. And then at the very end, Rob Reiner, mm. the director of The Princess Bride, is in bed as the grandchild. Uh-huh. Carl Reiner is the grandfather, his own father. Yeah. Uh, and the, the movie ends with, uh, can you read that again to me, Grandpa? And he turns around and says, as you wish. And then he clo- He That's smiles, sweet, smiles a little it? twinkle in his eye, and he closes the door. It's the last thing Carl Reiner ever shot before that he died. <laughs> That's really sad. Yeah.
0: The Princess Bride is interesting because I, I, I hope new generations are watching it the way that like our generation watched The Wizard of Oz. Because mm. I feel like The Princess Bride, and this is not a new sentiment, I've heard other people say this, but I agree with it. I feel like The Princess Bride is our generation's The Wizard of Oz. It is transportive and magical. It's very, very funny. It is endlessly quotable. You can quote the entire entire movie. Everything's kind of a a witty
2: laugh line, so you want to repeat them to to each other. And you want to do it exactly the right way. I'm not sure if if other people did this, but I've just reenacted scenes for fun with friends. I I had the film pretty much memorized. It's a wonderful, wonderful classic movie,
0: and um, one of my favorite behind-the-scenes stories ever uh, came from uh, Rob Reiner who was talking about uh, after he had made uh, he made made a bunch of movies and he was in uh, a restaurant I think in New York and like a famous dangerous mafioso was in the restaurant with him and he was getting uncomfortable like oh god and the kind of guy's kind of looking at him like oh god if I pissed off this mafioso Mm -hmm. so Rob Reiner's like I should go and he tries to leave and the mafioso are one of his goons. I forget which. They stop him, and they said, "Hey, you killed my father. Prepare to die." I love
2: that movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great! And it's just, it's hard to imagine like Rob Ryder probably like p- pissing <laughs> his, yeah, pants, probably. his pants, probably. And, and... Panic. but the thing is is that everyone likes
0: that movie yeah <laughs> i know only one person i've ever known in my entire life who actively dislikes that movie and i don't get it everything else about them tracks i just i've never understood why they had such a visceral dislike for it everyone else likes that movie like the godfather well, likes that movie when did you even see it did you go in the theater Did you watch it with your kids on home well, video did well, you go to blockbuster and pick it out <laughs> how did you see this movie i
2: I, I really love it. It's um, so busy killing okay. people
0: Let, make let's the see. Time?
2: If there's uh, if there are some criticisms to be leveled at the Princess Bride, <laughs> sure. Um, the The music is tinkly, like synth stuff. Oh, I, it doesn't sound great. I think it mostly works. I think, the, especially like when it gets to like the adventure themes, it sound like that's not a real trumpet. Uh, <laughs> I, I find and, it uh, charming, but okay. And some people might bristle a little bit at. Uh, sort of the, the cynical take on it rather yeah. than sort of doing a, a straight up fairy tale they're doing mm-hmm. sort of like you know, we're going to comment on the fairy tale and some people might but they never claim that they're little... better than the fairy tale I think that's the thing that makes the, the, I get suppose away not much. it actually yeah. gets like a lot of the the love and a lot of the stories yeah. played pretty straight that's what I think makes it work
0: mm-hmm. anyway um, this is a great pick uh, we've already done your number one mm-hmm. my number one is uh, something you haven't mentioned Oh. it's a movie that frankly very few people that I know have seen it's got a pretty good cast. Okay. Uh, it's got Salma Hayek. Ooh. It's got John C. Riley. It's got Vincent Cassell. All right. It's got Toby Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is actually a triptych of fairy tales, uh, Italian uh, uh, fairy tales, uh, directed by Matteo Groni. Hmm. Probably best known for doing that other... Uh, uh Roberto Benigni Pinocchio the one where he played Geppetto and not Pinocchio uh,
2: oh the good version yeah uh
0: but it's called Tale of Tales interesting came out in 2015 this is your number one my number one all right it came out in 2015 25- I thought about this a lot and there's a lot of films that easily could I thought the, the Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast easily could have been my number one Sleeping Beauty easily could have been my number one but I wanted to but a you know those movies. And B, this movie is actually that good. Uh, it is uh, it's a series of three different tales, uh, some of which have been kind of retold since in ways that kind of, like, took off all the edges. Because Tale of Tales it's more a horror movie than a fairy tale, but it's not a horror movie. Mm. It's just monstrous. Uh, there is a story about uh, a queen, played by Salma Hayek, who wants to live forever, uh, but in order to do it, you have to, like eat the heart of a dragon that's been cooked by a virgin and then you will miraculously be pregnant but then someone will die um and that story goes in some very strange directions in which uh the child that she bears becomes like psychically linked to a child who's like a pauper Mm -hmm. and she resents the relationships that they have because they're like twins but only one of them is hers and it turns into this whole more monstrous thing and just absolutely incredible and bizarre, and just the the image of Salma Hayek like just going to town on a like a a, a dragon heart, her face like covered in blood, like she's like eating chicken wings at a bar, like mm, amazing. Uh, there is a very disturbing uh, story about a king uh, who falls in love with a woman he's never seen. He's only heard her singing, uh, but he doesn't realize is that she's actually. Uh, like elderly and decrepit. Hmm. And she tries to figure out a way to have an affair with the king without him realizing that he wouldn't be attracted to her if the lights were on. And that goes into some really horrifying directions. (laughs) Um, And then there's this, my favorite one. They're all intertwined and they interconnect in some ways. But uh, my favorite one is about a king who has a pet flea. Huh. Like a flea, like it's on your dog and he loves this flea. and he takes such good care of this flea that after a while it's huge, like just disgustingly large. and when it dies, he decides to skin it and then in order to marry off his daughter, which he doesn't really want to marry off, uh, he says, okay. Kind of a princess in the pea situation you do the strange thing and you can marry my daughter uh, okay uh, I will show you the hide of a mysterious animal and if you can tell me what kind of an animal it is you can marry my daughter and no one would think that this massive leathery hide is from a flea right until an ogre shows up takes one look and it's like oh that's a flea the king's like shit and now his wife's got to marry an ogre and he's got to send people out to kill the ogre um it's got that incredible incredible production design uh of a piece maybe with some of the works you might, uh, of we might imagine of Gilliam or uh you know some of the other more bizarre uh uh european filmmakers of note uh it is horrifying but it never quite turns into a scary story to tell in the dark Mm -hmm. it's never a campfire tale it's it it's one of the few films that understands that fairy tales in their original form Mm -hmm. didn't fit into these tidy molds that we have now where they have to be good for kids or they have to be the horror version they're all just kind of intertwined into this bizarre mishmash of all kind of storytelling tradition and by telling bizarre stories more in their original form, uh, and telling them simultaneously, Tale of Tales creates um just a really fascinating like miasma of fairy tale what's the word I'm looking for here? Magic. All right. It's evil <laughs> magic. It's 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 gross and it's full of monsters. But it's magical in a way, like if you've ever A lot of people get a lot of their information about fairy tales from movies or other, you know, adaptations.
2: But if you've ever actually... Again, these are stories that are passed down, so it's going to
0: be whatever modern version you got. Generally, yes. However, there are things called books... (laughs) And if you actually track down, when I was your age, television was called books. Well, it's true. But, like, if you ever, like, again, you can look at what all these stories have become. You talked about the oral tradition, you can talk about how these stories have evolved over time. However, through the magic of books, you can actually find the original versions, or at least as close to it as we can get from hundreds of years ago, Hmm. of a lot of these tales. And you realize, like, these were much weirder. These were a lot less constrained by genre convention or the need to keep children entertained. These were well, very uh, strange, magical
2: stories that yeah, had romance uh, and horror simultaneously. Something that I've, I've really resented has been the popularity of the book Save the Cat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And also, I kind of resent Joseph Campbell as well. Yeah. uh, Because Joseph Campbell was actually much more interested in myth, and he started to see a lot of commonalities between world myths, which he studied. Yeah. And sort of came up with a lot of... Uh, hey, did you ever notice that there's a lot of similarities? No. There's, That's basically what he did. And, and he said, here's a very general cycle of events that tends mm-hmm. to happen in a lot of myths. And, he, and here's and he why it, they seem to and be And he called it the hero's journey. And it was, it was very, it's fascinating to read about. And yeah. it kind of brings a lot of myths together in ways that hadn't been done before. Uh, at some point, Hollywood decided that was a good screenplay structure. And it is. It's a good way to make a three-act... Structure. and mm-hmm. a, a lot of screenplay books like Save the Cat took a lot of the basic precepts of something like the hero's journey and turned it into uh, traditional screenplay writing style.
0: Uh-huh. I would, uh, I would,
2: I would, I defend Save the Cat
0: because I think if you actually read it, it's there's, also, a, there's a
2: lot more advice well, than just that. It's also but, yeah. doing
0: what what Campbell did, which is basically saying, "Hey, we, I, if you watch almost every movie, you will find commonalities.
2: Yeah, yeah. And uh, if you
0: once you find the commonalities, it is easier to think about a story." As a whole, Mm. and also as a collection of many pieces. And as a result, it's easier to sort of talk about screenwriting in a macro and micro level. Mm. It's when people take what Campbell did and what uh, Save the Cat did, Mm. and instead of using it it as a
2: a, a rule book.
0: Yeah, they would start using it as a rule book, it's a problem. We just use it as a way to have a conversation and have the same. Uh, goalposts in order Mm. to have the same terminology. Oh, I know what scene you're talking about. It's a scene in a story where this happens, which is common to many stories. Instead, what you're saying
2: is, okay, well, it has to have these beats. Mm. Then you're using it to like keep yourself uh, imprisoned. And I feel like for for decades, I've seen people just sort of adhere to it. And I've even heard professors say, if you want to write a good screenplay, it has to be like that you read ancient stories, they didn't have those rules. Mm-hmm. They were told, stories were told very, very differently and they modulated and they are paced weirdly compared mm-hmm. to like modern sensibilities. Uh, they didn't have like rising and falling action. They didn't have you, mm. the types of protagonists we have. Or if they uh, did,
0: they weren't like gonna happen on page 60. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like the rising action, beginning, middle, and end. Yeah, every story kind of has this eventually mm-hmm. just because that's how our brains work. Yeah. But, they're not gonna it's not gonna be clockwork hmm. it shouldn't be clockwork once you right. make
2: it clockwork you make it dull so uh you'll you read some of these older stories yeah. some, and also you know, fairy tales aren't beholden to reality tradi- yeah reality yeah. or traditional structures so uh they may these i mean the saying proves true if you want a new idea read an old book uh there's <laughs>
0: it's
2: a good line. there's uh yeah, sort of a, a, a freedom, a little bit more of a, a pliability to yeah. fairy tales that we don't get from modern storytelling. Yeah, And I feel like the best of the fairy tale movies uh, remember that. Yeah. They remember that even though these are movies, a lot of them don't adhere to movie structure. Some of them do. Princess Bride is every bit oh, sure. that traditional screenplay. Yeah. And even, and even you know, Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast fits a lot of those
0: molds if you really mm-hmm. wanted to, to apply those labels. Uh, And and to some extent, Tale of Tales hits a few of them, but thanks partly to its triptych presentation and its commitment to trying to capture what made the original stories feel so original, um, I think it escapes that a lot. Uh, I'm actually surprised you've never seen it. I think you should. Uh, It is currently, as of this recording, and this is always subject to change, uh, it is currently available on Canopy for free. Uh, It is also available on Tubi for free, because of course it is. Mm -hmm. Um, So... I highly recommend it. If you've never seen Tale of Tales, please check it out. Uh, on that note, that is our Iron List for this month. Uh, I'm going to, because people uh, have asked us to, and so when we forget, they 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 say we should do it next time. Um, I'm going to give everyone our full list all at once, in case you missed any titles, forgot them. Uh, Whitney's list, in order of presentation, not necessarily ranked. Uh, Disney's Sleeping Beauty, the animated film. Uh, Jan Svankmajer's Little Otik. The anime film Belladonna of Sadness. Matthew Bright's uh, modern crime update of Little Red Riding Hood Freeway. <laughs> Steven Spielberg's AI, Artificial Intelligence. Guillermo del Toro's Pan's Labyrinth. Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes. Uh, some directors, The Virgin Spring.
2: Uh, some directors, The Virgin Spring. Some some, some guy. Uh, and uh, I'd Say Ingmar Bergman, is
0: fine. Okay, fine. Ingmar Bergman, if you, if you say so. I'm sure so. I'm sure he'll make something of himself eventually. Uh, he's Rob go, Re- he's, he's going places, that yeah, Bergman. Right? Uh, I jest. Uh, Rob Ryan is Princess Bride, and finally, uh, Jean Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast. Uh, My list, again, in order of presentation. Uh, Disney's Sleeping Beauty. Uh, Kenneth Branagh's Disney version of Cinderella. Uh, Osgood Perkins' Gretel and Hansel. Uh, Neil Jordan's The Company of Wolves. Uh, The Asylum's Avengers Grimm. Yeah, I went there. (laughs) Bold move. Uh, Hayao Miyazaki's Ponyo. Uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes. Jean Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast and finally uh, Tale of Tales uh, Whitney well, do you have any well, runners
2: well number one uh, uh, thank you uh, so yeah, much uh, I appreciate that
0: and I hope you watch and like it. I think I really think you'll like it okay. um, Whitney do you have any runners up um, you want to run uh, through
2: not so many I was actually kind yeah. of hard I, had a I was tough surprised time kind of that this list. sometimes um, we do these
0: lists and we have like these giant sheets of like well maybe yeah, I have um, to consider that this one there were fewer than I
2: um, thought partly um, maybe
0: partly because of my criteria but right.
2: yeah um a movie that I haven't seen since I was a kid, but it really scared me as a kid was uh, Ron Howard's willow, uh, which is, which is like kind of a, a <laughs> I think it's more of a high fantasy. Yeah. Than it's fairy kind of, more tale. of a but it's got fairies in but, it. Um, I mean, you There's know no what else? It. it also has fairies in it. Mothra. Mothra's got fairies. Got me in a technicality. That's fair. Um, it, this one, I kind of, uh, I don't know why I felt uncomfortable putting this on, but I'm very fond of uh, Jim Henson's *The Dark Crystal*. I think just really good imagery in that one. I think the I think the protagonists are dull and the story's a little thin. But I've uh, I've often argued. I know the whole point was they
0: were all puppets. I still think *The Dark Crystal* might have hit harder if the protagonist was a human.
2: Maybe so. If they had like human children, I think I really
0: think that would have given it like just a bit more of a grounding Mm -hmm. that we needed because. It's might be a little much, but it's a hell of a movie, that's for
2: sure. I, I feel like uh, Jim Henson is really good with sort of visuals and the puppet stuff. Yeah. When it comes to stories, he doesn't really think a lot of that stuff out. Uh, Dark
0: Crystal is not a great story.
2: It's not a great it's, story. Same it's a, but it's a hell of a world. Uh, you want to visit it? And, and and I'll make enemies for this, but I feel the same way about Labyrinth. I think uh, Labyrinth has a lot of really great visuals. I love David Bowie. Yeah. I, love, I love the songs he sings. Um I, it's kind of difficult to parse out what the movie's about. Cause it's not really about much of anything. I disagree with uh, that, but okay. th- it's, it's about something in one scene and then it kind of forgets <laughs> about it for the rest. It's I, like, Oh, it's about putting away your childhood toys. You could have mentioned that a little bit earlier in the movie and I, maybe after that as well. I disagree with that yeah. even being the point, but okay. Um, uh, I, I also mentioned the company evolves. Yeah. Um, an animated film I didn't see until I was in college, but I know a lot of my friends really liked it growing up was The Last Unicorn. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I
0: you know what that probably should have been on my runners up at least. I didn't see that until I was an adult. Hmm. I didn't. It was a movie I knew a lot of people who grew up with it. I didn't. Yeah. That's a great movie. It's a great movie. It's, it's a, a very strange film in a lot of ways.
2: Uh, well, it's very strange. It, it reminded me a lot of another favorite, uh, and this is not a fairy tale, it's just based on a book, but uh, uh, the Rankin-Bass version of The Hobbit. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite animated films when I was a little child. And uh, yeah, it had that same vibe to it. That same sort of trying to use animation as a way to explore a really imaginative world. Yeah. Uh, and every, so as such, it's like really visually interesting throughout. All right. Uh, well, some of my runners-up, and my runners-up weren't all necessarily beholden to the criteria
0: that I had before because I created my sort of my short list before I decided what my criteria would be. So these are going to be a bit more sprawling. Um, but uh, let's see here. Uh, a few more Disney films. Tangled mm-hmm. is delightful uh please see tangle if you haven't already uh a this one came very close to being in my top 10 but it didn't meet my rule of like specifically name checking a fairy tale uh-huh. uh but as a sort of a modern update of the little red riding hood a girl walks home alone at night
2: oh that's a good movie is a great yeah, movie and, and picture. lily Ammerpour made that one it's really
0: good one of my favorite vampire movies it's absolutely amazing i mentioned it earlier Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory is a modern hansel and gretel um uh, it, it's a it's a very silly film, but I'm very fond of it. But it's more about uh, nursery rhymes. Uh, Mother Goose Rock and Rhyme hmm. is a delight. If you've never seen it, you must. Um, I'm more forgiving than a lot of other people for uh, Terry Gilliam's The Brothers Grimm, which I think is a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, I think it's a
2: lot of fun. I think it's a lot of fun. Oh, it's not great Gilliam and Gil- it's not but it's, it's, I think it's it's fun. kind of hard to recommend Gilliam just because he's so fraught these days I but... know that's true for
0: for several people but like yeah, even Fred Savage but uh, let's see here uh, <laughs> Disney's Beauty and the Beast the original animated version or the remake mm-hmm. you know whatever I mean not, not the live action one yeah uh, Freeway was on my short list as well The Little Mermaid was on my short list Ever After was on my short list The Princess and the Frog doesn't get enough attention that movie's wonderful mm-hmm. a relatively recent uh, Netflix kids themed horror movie which is another update of Hansel and Gretel Nightbooks
2: Nightbooks is really good
0: Nightbooks I I caught up with it because you told me how great it was
2: Mm. it's Delightful! It's really good, isn't it? Yeah, it's really. Kristen I, Ritter plays the witch in that, and she's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. When Netflix does like big blockbusters, stay away. Yeah. Don't don't watch The Gray Man or, or no. Red Notice or anything with the color in the title. But like uh, their weird little genre stuff is often really yeah, good. Yeah. Didn't they also do Vampires versus the Bronx? That was they a, did. That's that was great a Netflix film as love well. Yeah, that movie was great. Wonderful horror movies for kids.
0: Yeah. Uh, Pan's Labyrinth made my short list. Labyrinth
2: made my short list. Oh, okay. Wrong about that one. Uh, <laughs> movie... I I I admit that I'm yeah. Harder on labyrinth than most people. Uh, a,
0: a movie that, like uh Girl Walks Home Alone and I, came this close to being on my top ten. Uh, the animated film *Rise of the Guardians*. Oh, with Santa Claus. With Santa Claus and yeah. the Tooth Fairy mm-hmm. and yeah, Chris, Paris. Pine, Chris Pine as Pine Jack, uh, Jack Frost. Frost you yeah. know what? It's a very good film. It's, is it? Is it's not? It's not as good as the other ones on my list, but it's very, very close. It's it, very well crafted. It's enjoyable
2: and whimsical. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I remember uh, reading an interview with Chris Pine, uh, and mm-hmm. he says as an actor, he likes to play grounded characters. He likes even if he, he's in a fantasy scenario or a science fiction movie, yeah. he plays human characters. And I want to say you played a Iceman <laughs> in this animated film.
0: Uh, let's see here. Um, let's oh uh, Ralph Bakshi's Wizards. Is it, I, I love that. that time. Time. Oh, You've never seen Wizards? I haven't seen Wizards. You would love Wizards. Oh, I, and I love Ralph Wizards, as well. Wizards is one of my favorite movie endings, like ever. <laughs> it's really good. Please see Wizards of not It's fantastic. It just didn't quite fit my criteria. Uh, I'm rather fond of the director's cut of uh, Ridley Scott's Legend. Uh, PJ Hogan's Peter Pan is magical. Um, I'm I'm fond... It's not very good, but I'm very fond of the vibe and certainly the costume design and Tarsem Singh's Mirror, Mirror... Okay. Which is just a fun film. I've described it as a Muppet movie with all the Muppets taken out. Uh, Yeah. Which I think is about it. Which is about Mm -hmm. right. Uh, Disney's version of Pinocchio. Uh, The greatest film with fairies in it. Uh, The 1930s version of A Midsummer Night's Dream.
2: Uh, I I wanted to stay away from Shakespeare. We've done, we've uh, yeah. done it
0: already, yeah. But if exactly. you want, if we, I was going by that, that if it has fairies. It counts. I do a Midsummer right.
2: Night's Dream. Okay, well, I mean, yeah. I mean it's, it's it's an excellent fucking movie. Yeah. Definitely watch that one. One of the better uh, yeah. Shakespeare movies, just period. A movie
0: that definitely owes a lot to fairy tale tradition, especially like you know evil witches, uh, but doesn't really call its shots. Dario Argento's Suspiria. It was. It was more, it I was, thought about it. But it was no, too oblique. Yeah. It was too oblique. But I were shouting it, out. it just has witches yeah. in it. I wouldn't call it a fairy uh, tale.
2: It's. It's been
0: argued that uh, Arabian Nights is a story, is a collection of fairy tales. Absolutely. On, on yeah. that note, uh, there's a couple of great adaptations of it. Also, uh, Wishmaster. It's a really <laughs> oh, yeah, rock-solid yeah, 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 horror movie. I'm very yeah, yeah. fond of it. Uh, and it something that's a bit more uh, more ish I think, than fairy tales. Uh, but Wolfwalkers
2: is a fantastic animated oh, movie, okay. and I love it to pieces. Uh, so those are my runners-up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was trying to think of things like... Uh, I'm, I'm very fond of a, a German horror film called Hagazusa, a heathen's yeah. tale. And um, that one, while it has sort of like fairy tale elements, I wanted to stay away from folk horror because that I think that's a different... Entity
0: Yeah that's the thing you gotta, you gotta draw the line Somewhere yeah. And yeah. we decide Where that is So
2: and, and Like all, I said There are rules We make them up So it's fine
0: But also again My runners up As I said Was before I applied The rules yeah. I wanted to look at Like what was available What are the great movies That kind of work And then I would decide What my criteria was afterwards And I made my choices For better or worse um, Next time on the Iron List uh, Once again The topic will of course Be chosen by our patrons Over at patreon.com Slash Critically Acclaimed Network Uh, The poll will probably be up by the time you're listening to this, uh, certainly by the end of the episode, uh, and your options include the best movies about robots. Yeah, robots. Uh, The best movies of 1998, 25 years ago. The best dog movies. These are movies about dogs, very specifically. Yeah, there, are a lot, there are a lot of movies about plenty dogs. Plenty of movies about dogs. We've already done, I think, uh, I don't think it was an Iron List, but we did, we did do a podcast once that was all about the best cat movies. Uh, and it's time to do a dog movie, if you vote for it. Uh, the best, slightly different uh, variation of what we usually do, the best movie soundtracks. Whether or not the movie is good, mm-hmm. these are the greatest soundtracks. Uh, and then lastly, uh, you could also vote to continue our ongoing tradition uh movies that begin with the letter i i i i uh as always we would love to hear your thoughts we would love to hear if there are any uh fairy tale movies that we neglected to mention or uh maybe didn't give enough credit to uh, if you want to share your own list of the best fairy tale movies or anything of its like, you can always email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email in an upcoming episode
2: of our podcast, We've Got Mail. Whitney, what is our PO Box? Yeah, send us a physical letter to PO Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah. Uh, we're on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibbiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Um, is, that, is that it? That's it. That's it. All right. Thanks that's for... a list.
0: And and, and thank and you. Thanks for joining us. And that's a list.